Recording in progress.
So good morning, everyone. I'm convening the Marin County Board of Supervisors meeting for January 23rd, 2024. Uh, clerk, could you please take the roll, please? Supervisor Lucan. Supervisor Rice. Here. Supervisor Moulton Peters. Here. Supervisor Sackett. Here. President Rodoni. Here. Thank you. And could we please have the instruction video now, please? Welcome to the Marin County Board of Supervisors meeting. This meeting offers the chance for everybody to participate in person or via Zoom and offers interpretation to Spanish through Zoom. During the meeting, the board president will announce when it's time for the public to comment on agenda items and its time limit. Public comment should not exceed two minutes. For those attending in person, you're invited to use the podium when the president announces open time for public expression. If you require wheelchair access, you can go to the designated microphone at the front of the room. When participating on Zoom and it's your opportunity to speak, your name will be announced and you'll be prompted to unmute your device. Due to a slight delay in the live stream, we recommend joining the meeting ahead of the item discussion. For those joining by phone, press star nine if you'd like to comment. You may begin speaking once you hear you are unmuted. If you want to make your comment in Spanish, please say, I need Spanish interpretation and wait for instructions. A reminder to all participants, the Marin County Board of Supervisors encourages respectful dialogue, fostering free speech and embracing diverse opinions. All attendees are expected to maintain civility, refraining from questioning others' character or motives. Thank you. Now you will hear the instructions in Spanish. Bienvenidos a la reunión de la Junta de Supervisores del Condado de Marín. Esta reunión ofrece la oportunidad a todos de participar en persona o a través de Zoom. A través de Zoom, usted puede escuchar la reunión en español. Durante la reunión, el presidente de la Junta anunciará cuándo es el momento para que el público comente sobre los puntos de la agenda y el tiempo establecido para los comentarios. Los comentarios del público no deben exceder los dos minutos. Para los asistentes en persona, se les invita a utilizar el estrado cuando el presidente anuncia el momento de expresión pública. Si necesita acceso en silla de ruedas, puede dirigirse al micrófono designado en la parte delantera de la sala. Cuando participe en Zoom y sea su oportunidad de hablar, se anunciará su nombre y se le pedirá que active el micrófono de su dispositivo. Debido a un ligero retraso en la retransmisión en directo, le aconsejamos que se una a la reunión antes de la discusión del punto. Para los que se unan por teléfono, pulse estrella 9 si desea hacer algún comentario. Podrá empezar a hablar en cuanto oiga, active su micrófono. Si desea hacer su comentario en español, diga, necesito interpretación al español y espere instrucciones. Un recordatorio para todos los participantes. La Junta de Supervisores del Condado de Marín alienta el diálogo respetuoso, fomentando la libertad de expresión y acogiendo opiniones diversas. Se espera que todos los asistentes mantengan el civismo, absteniéndose de cuestionar el carácter o los motivos de los demás. Gracias. 
Thank you very much. Item, first item today is open time. It's for items not on the board's agenda, but within the subject jurisdiction of the board. I will take first speakers online and then speakers in the chamber. Given the total number of speakers, I may limit, limit the total time for this to 45 minutes with any remaining comments held until the end of the session right after item number eight on the agenda this afternoon. I'll alternate between five speakers online and five speakers in the chamber if there's more than five lined up and signed up on Zoom. Um, could I see a show of hands in the chamber of all those who might want to speak today, please? Thank you. It looks like we can start out at two minutes each. So if you could stay shorter than that, I appreciate it, but you have up to two minutes today. So first speaker <clears throat> online, please, Al. The first speaker is Cecilia Avelar. Please unmute. Hello, my name is Cecilia Avelar, and I'm an educator in San Rafael. And I'm calling on the Board of Supervisors to please bring forth a resolution for a permanent and immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Um, I believe the children of Gaza deserve nothing less than a permanent ceasefire resolution. And I believe this is also a local issue since many of the Marin County taxpayer money goes directly to funding the genocide um, that is currently killing thousands of children um, in the past 100 days. Um, so again, I'm calling on the Board of Supervisors to please look inward, look towards your humanity, and think what you would like for your own loved ones if this was affecting your family. Again, what would you accept for um, the people in your community? And I think that would be nothing less than an immediate and permanent ceasefire in Gaza, and I think that's what the children deserve. And this is your chance to show to Marin County and to the community at large that you stand on the right side of history. Um, Israel has been taken to international court for genocide. So again, I don't think this is something we need to prove. It's something the world has already seen. Um, and so again, please take the time to stand on the right side of history and call for an immediate and permanent ceasefire in Gaza. Because again, though it's a global issue, um, it affects our local taxpayer dollars, and those uh, that money could instead be used to fund our own community um, and to go towards more um, constructive uh, pursuits. So please, again, vote for uh, bring forth an immediate and permanent ceasefire resolution for Gaza. Thank you. The next speaker is Gila Rice. Please unmute. Good morning and thank you. Um, as residents of Marin County, we thank you for not bringing forward a resolution calling for a permanent ceasefire between Hamas and Israel. Not only are such matters well outside the purview of the board, but debates over such resolutions in other local government venues have generated divisive and hateful rhetoric aimed at anyone who would speak up in support of Israel primarily directed towards to members of the Jewish community. The repeated pattern of hate speech turned into hateful action was once again on display in Oakland just a few weeks ago during Hanukkah with the destruction of the Hanukkah at Lake Merritt. There was also an incident um, in the South Bay when a protester was violently attacked and the Israeli flag ripped from her hands. Hamas can bring around about a permanent ceasefire tomorrow by laying down its weapons and releasing all of the hostages. A ceasefire without these steps would enable Hamas to remain in power and to carry out its publicly declared promise to repeat the atrocities of October 7th again and again. 
Two weeks ago, I handed in a petition with 440 signatures. It is now up to 644 signatures of people asking you not to call on a resolution. I will hand that in, um, if not today, tomorrow to the board. And we appreciate all of the efforts that you put into issues facing Marin County, and we thank you. The next speaker is MacBook Pro. Please unmute. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Go ahead. Thank you. My name is uh, Barbara McVeigh. I would like to acknowledge um, your visionary policy and approval in, let's see, 2017, when you honored President Jimmy Carter with a resolution, uh, excuse me, a proclamation driven by Kate Sears. That was amazing. A president who has stood for human rights, human dignity, and peace. Let's also acknowledge his book of 2007, Palestine, Peace, Not Apartheid. He called out the horrific treatment of the Palestinians nearly 20 years ago, likening the, the way that Israelis were treating the Palestinians like animals, and that is a quote. I thank you, Board of Supervisors, for acknowledging this US president who saw the horrendous treatment that the Palestinians have been receiving for decades. That was visionary of you, standing behind a US president who had the courage to stand out. He said in a 2008 interview, I'm not running for president and I have private secret service protection. Therefore, I am able to say what I am going to say. And he said it, that the Israelis treat the Palestinians like animals. Thank you to Biden who stood behind Carter recently calling him and acknowledging his presidency and legacy. Thank you to the others who have stood behind Carter recognizing his courage to say what needs to be said. And thank you to the Board of Supervisors right now for having the opportunity to stand behind a U.S. president who had courage. You have a chance right now to do that. Thank you. The next speaker is Donna Pai. Please unmute. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes, Good morning. Thank you. On January 15th this year, New California <coughs> State, in reaffirming their commitment to separate from California and form a 51st state, read on the steps of the California Capitol in Sacramento, the 1836 Alta California Declaration of Independence from Mexico, the 2018 New California Affirmation to the Union, the 2018 New California State Declaration of Independence, and the 2024 Proclamation of the Statement of the Statehood of Statehood. New California, is a new state in the development exercising its constitutional right to form from the state of California as codified under Article 4, Section 3 and 4 of the United States Constitution of the United States Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights. I'm also here today to invite you, the Board of Supervisors, to participate in a demonstration election, a demo election, on January 27th from 10.30 to 
to vote in the demonstration of how we the citizens can return to a precinct one day election process a fair and transparent process without electronic equipment with results delivered the same day with the state's financial situation in question the impact on the county of Marin will spill over not only will re returning to the precinct model bring better transparency but will also be financially more beneficial to the county again the demonstration election will be on january 27th at the vfw building at 844 sweetster avenue in nevado from 10 30 to 2 30 for voting and from 2 30 to 4 we will be counting our votes you're welcome to come we hope you show up thank you the fifth speaker is caller with telephone number ending in 757, please unmute. Caller, please unmute. You must unmute your device as well. Can you hear me? We can hear you now. Go ahead. Caller, we lost you. Please uh, unmute your device. Al, why don't you go to the next speaker and see if you and can resolve that. The next speaker is Emma. Please unmute. Hi, can you hear me okay? Emma, we can hear you. Go ahead. Okay, great. I'm sorry. I'm on my commute. Um, I just wanted to uh, point out that we just heard from uh, Gila Rice. Uh, she did not... It, identify her executive position at Shabbat of Marin. Um, Shabbat of Marin is, of course, uh, an extension of the Shabbat Lubavitch group in Crown Heights. Um, and it's a very interesting group with a fantastic history, um, which, which everyone should know about. But it is important that people identify themselves, um, you know, when they, when they are being paid by a group. Uh, ostensibly, uh, she is benefiting from that group. Uh, similarly, uh, Jeff Saperstein spoke recently um, at Board of Supervisors. He also did not identify himself as being associated, uh, actually the former marketing director for San Francisco's Jewish Community Federation, which does have uh, considerable nonprofit links with nonprofits here in Marin County. Uh, Mr. Saperstein also did not mention uh, that the Jewish Community Federation was involved in illegally funding Canary Mission, an Israeli spying operation, which did, has done, and continues to do considerable harm uh, to the First Amendment rights of American citizens on uh, US campuses. Now, imagine if another uh, group had done this. Uh, imagine if, and, and I want to specifically cite the American billionaire who was involved in funding Canary Mission through the JECF, it was Sanford Diller. Um, the, the issue with Sanford Diller is that it, that wasn't the only uh, thing he was funding that was extremely problematic. He apparently also funded the J6 rioters, according to James Bamford in The Nation, and he uh, even gave money to Geert Wilders, a, a radically far-right uh, politician. We needed thank, to thank you, Eva. people thank you, to Eva. Uh, identify themselves. Thank you. So we're going to bring you back to the chamber now. Uh, we'll have five, five members in the chamber. Go ahead. Good morning, supervisors. My name is Chris Jewell, a retired software engineer and resident of Terraland for 32 years. 
Uh, my wife and I were honored and privileged uh, to be hosts over the New Year's Eve to a young family from Gaza who were able to escape the Israeli onslaught back in November due to the fact that the mother had US citizenship because she was born in this country but went back to Gaza when she was two years old. She, her husband, and two young children were lucky because most Palestinians in Gaza have nowhere to go to escape the Israeli terror. And they remain confined, as they have been for 17 years, to a small piece of land 20 miles long and five miles wide, uh, together with two million other Palestinians. Our guests told us of the suffering of their families back in Gaza. The father said that about 100 of his extended family had already, been, had already died due to the Israeli atrocities. And the mother said that her father is still in the north of Gaza, out of touch with her, looking after her infirm gran grandfather who was physically unable to evacuate south. They have very little food and are likely to have perished by now, along with tens of thousands of others. With those escaping the bombs, artillery shells, and snipers, now facing the very real threat of death due to starvation and disease. We know now that there is nowhere in Gaza is safe, as the Israelis are indiscriminately obliterating everything across the entire Gaza Strip, including areas that they had declared as safe zones. Uh, so therefore, I am respectfully calling on the Board of Supervisors to put forward a resolution on behalf of the residents of Marin calling for a permanent ceasefire in Gaza with the exchange of hostages and Palestinian prisoners that are being held without trial. Thank you. Good morning, Supervisors. My name is Joe McGarry, and I live in Fairfax. I'm an organizer with Ceasefire Now Marin. I come before you again to urge you to bring forward a permanent ceasefire resolution immediately. Your silence and lack of willingness to even bring forward an agenda item or hold a listening session to discuss something that literally hundreds, maybe thousands at this point of your constituents over the last three months have told you as an absolute priority to this community is deeply troubling and fills this chamber with complicity to genocide. I truly don't understand how you all, who I think are people with a good deal of empathy, who try to address suffering, can go home at night knowing that you did not do anything to stop the targeted slaughter of tens of thousands of children just because they don't have a Marin County zip code. Palestinian children are being murdered by bombs, snipers, and now a calculated starvation plan by Israel. They are having limbs amputated and surgeries performed without anesthesia, and yet you refuse to use your platform to even acknowledge it is happening, let alone say Marin says no more by adopting a resolution. The thing is, it's not too late. Not saying something yesterday doesn't prevent you from saying something today. You can still do the right thing and bring forward a resolution, and it will matter. It will matter a great deal. Palestine is a litmus test for all of us, for you, for Marin, and for humanity. You know doing what you can with your position of power to protect the children of Gaza is the only acceptable moral response. It just takes one of you to muster up the courage to bring forward a resolution. If you don't, the complicity of genocide will be on all of you forever, and there is no amount of local good you can do that will ever remove it, because you will always know it's there. 
Cease fire now. Free Palestine. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Katie. Hi, Eric. Hi, Dennis. Hi, Mary. And hi, Stephanie. It's nice to see you in the new year. My name is Mish. I am a Ukrainian Jew. My family came here from Ukraine in the 90s. They had to escape the awful anti-Semitism that was occurring there. And I have what I feel for the people of Palestine, because just a few years ago, we were all in solidarity for Ukraine as well, right? Something similar happened. Something, something, something imperialism. So just this weekend, Netanyahu refused a deal to release the hostages. I don't know if you know that, but he was offered a deal, and he said, no, thank you, keep them. It is delusional to believe that not passing a ceasefire resolution is not a local issue because our tax dollars go directly to this. I am paying taxes to be bombing children, to be watching videos of dead children, to see children picking up pieces of their dead parents, putting them into a grocery bag because that is all they have left. Palestinians, they do not live in the same world that we do under Israeli apartheid. It's kind of like visiting the Jim Crow South. They cannot become citizens. They cannot vote or participate in the government that governs them, that passes the laws, that tells them what they can and can't do. They don't have free movement. They need a pass to move city to city. They live under a military legal system and that is apartheid. South Africa has taken them to the IC, has taken Israel to the ICJ. Mexico and Chile just took them to the ICC. Ceasefire now. Thank you. <clears throat> Hi, uh, my name is Mark Butler. I live in Buenos for the last 40 years, and I think I can safely say that I speak for a lot of the people of Buenos. Um, I'm also calling for a resolution of ceasefire, and I think we do all, myself included, all of you, everybody in this room and everybody in this country, bear some responsibility because our, pack, our tax dollars do go to Israel to, to continue the genocide that they are perpetrating on Palestine. I just want to read a quick Resolution, this is from San Francisco. It says, calling for an extended ceasefire that condemns Hamas as well as the Israeli government and also urges the Biden administration to press for the release of all hostages and delivery for humanitarian aid. Oakland, Richmond, San Francisco have all, uh, all have a resolution now. And so we're asking the Board of Supervisors here and Marin to do the same thing. Thank you. Good morning. My name is George Landau. I'm a 51-year resident of Tebron, and uh, I happen to be 91 years old, and I was deported to Siberia when I was a kid. 
And I've also lived in, in Little Rock, Arkansas, where I learned English. So I know both the Jim Crow South and I know the Soviet Union person, personally. I also have relatives going back for generations to what was then called Palestine and is now called Israel. I would urge you not to get involved in these resolutions. Let our tax money go to the government and the State Department to deal with these issues. As a side note, I can tell you that I per personally lost a Christian Lebanese when Yasser Arafat assassinated him in, in Beirut in 1968 and cut him up in little pieces a la Khashoggi uh, later on, in, in, as you know, because he was collecting money for the beginnings of PLO. Keep in mind that Abbas's PhD thesis was about the uh, denial of the Holocaust. These people are not our friends. The resolutions uh, will just create added hostility within us. We're already heading to be a divided nation, and anything that you can do to stay away from making us further divided would be really appreciated, and that is staying away from this resolution. Thank you. Thank you. This is the last speaker in the chamber, and then we'll go online. <clears throat> Hello, my name is Ryan Mayer. I'm a resident of Novato. Um, I will read out um, what the SIEIU Local 1021 passed as a resolution for a permanent ceasefire in Gaza. Uh, it called for an immediate and permanent ceasefire, the restoration of food, clean water, fuel and electricity to Gaza, the safe passage of substantial humanitarian aid to the Palestinian people, uh, the release of all hostages, including Palestinians being held in Israeli jail uh, without charge or trial, in addition to hostages uh, continuing to be held by Hamas, uh, opposing all existing and any future military to Israel, uh, the withdrawal of Israeli forces and settlers illegally occupying Gaza and the West Bank, an end to the occupation of Palestine and the apartheid politics of the Israeli uh, state, allowing for equal rights and self-determination of all Palestinians. Uh, I'll step aside in a moment. I also want to say that uh, this is, in fact, a Marin issue because uh, Marin is home to several Palestinian residents, some of whom are my friends, some of whom have family uh, in Gaza and in the West Bank. Uh, and in passing a ceasefire resolution, it, uh, it would go a long way to um, ennobling them as citizens of this county. Uh, thank you. Thank you. We're going to go online now. Al, we're going to reduce the time to 90 seconds now. Um, and again, I think we can get through this if you can keep it less than 90. So next person online. The uh, first speaker is caller with telephone number okay. ending in 757. Please on mute. Caller, please on mute. Hello? Go ahead. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Go ahead. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, my name is Rodrigo Izquierdo, and I'd like to talk about the violence and the Marin Human Rights Commission that is uh, misdirected. And in fact, the Human Rights Commission and, and their followers, they directed against the victims. So they're blaming the victims for causing all this turmoil, whereas basically their own doing. 
And that is why I send in a public request. And it shows, in a way, their accusations against journalists. So, and so finally, you did do something and you sus suspended the Human Rights Commission, but instead, they said, the chair says that they canceled it. So in other words, they're again uh, playing with, uh, with names. And so I want you to see that they have not accomplished anything and they're, and they're only there for their own uh, benefits and not really for the interest of any members of the public. Thank you. The next speaker is Lynn Feinerman. Please unmute. Yes, uh, good morning. Uh, I'm Lynn Feinerman. I've been a resident of Marin County for over 30 years. Um, very much appreciate that the Board of Supervisors is providing this opportunity uh, for us to address you regarding the situation uh, that seems so far away uh, in Israel and Palestine. But uh, in fact, uh, I'm sure you are aware that the CCR, Center for Constitutional Rights, has initiated a lawsuit against the United States for its uh, complicity in the uh, events, in the genocide, in the uh, crimes that are happening against Palestine now. Um, I think it's very important that we address that fact because the United States is arming the world. The United States uh, is us. We pay the taxes that go to manufacture those arms and that go to uh, making all of the wars happen all around the world. And therefore, I want you to give real serious attention to our responsibility as citizens of Marin County to uh, say something about this and to reign in the United States. Thank you. The next speaker is Rachel Lockett. Please unmute. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Hi, I'm Rachel Lockett the current resident of Sausalito. Um, thank you so much for hosting this hearing today. I would like to also request that you um, pass this resolution for a ceasefire. There's obviously a lot that I can say that, that hasn't already been said, but most has been covered. I think most notably is just 100 plus days of seeing children with their body parts missing or watching family members get blown up in front of them or as someone else mentioned, picking up body parts of their family members and bagging them because they have nothing else. That alone, in, in addition to the lack of humanitarian aid that is being allowed, and as some of our US senators who visited and toured the Rafa uh, crossing have noted, things such as baby diapers and, and tents are not being allowed in. And that's beyond, obviously, the, the basic needs of food and water for these people. I think that um, just from a humanitarian standpoint, we, we as a county must stand behind this and, and must uh, demand a ceasefire. Thank you for your time. The next speaker is Sania Bito. Please unmute. Hi, um, I'm also 
also calling in support of a permanent ceasefire resolution. And I'd like to read a post from earlier this morning from Bisan, who's one of the reporters and got unable to give us an update for the last two days, but this morning um, finally was able to post again. She says, today in Kanyunis, this might be our last call. We are dying. Gaza is completely collapsing. Everything in it collapses. There were dozens of raids and three hospitals were besieged in Kanyunis. Alamal Hospital affiliated with the Red Crescent, al Khair Private Hospital, and Nasser Medical Complex, the largest health tuition in the Gaza Strip. People killed in the bombing were buried in front of our Ayu Hospital yard due to tanks blockading the streets. The wounded were on the ground without treatment, and there was not enough medical staff. Massacres are still being committed. On the 109th day of the war, Khan Yunus, the largest governorate in the Gaza Strip, and the one that receives the most displaced people is under bombardment. And the number of displaced people in Rafah is more than one and a half million people in an area of 151 square kilometers. We are facing hepatitis and intestinal diseases in the southern Gaza Strip and starvation to death in the northern Gaza Strip. Yesterday, people in the northern Gaza Strip began grinding animal feed to get flour. That's the end of the song statement. We have to stop um, endorsing a genocide. Thank you. Your time's up. Really Thank you. The next speaker is Sufan Hop. Please unmute. Yes, good morning, supervisors. I'm here joining my fellow citizens to ask something of you that may be difficult, but is the right thing to do, and that is a per permanent ceasefire and an end of this war we are perpetrating. Who would have thought we would be back in a McCarthy era? Exercise, where exercising free speech would put average citizens in positions to be blackballed, lose jobs, be accused of hate all over an appeal for peace, and an end to a barbarism inflect, inflicted as collective punishment of an oppressed people. Imagine tens of thousands of bombs dropped in an area that is roughly 27% the size of Marin County, murdering and maiming tens of thousands of innocent people. And now as we sit here, Palestinians huddle helplessly with barely food, water to survive and virtually no medical care. This destruction needs to stop and can stop if the US administration says no to Israel. Which brings us to what we're asking of you, our local political leaders, a request embodied in one word, courage. Please have the courage to right a terrible wrong that is staining our country and draining belief in who we are as a society. Please have the courage to join other cities speaking out with a resolution demanding a permanent ceasefire now. Our voices make a difference. Marin County can make a difference. Thank you. Thank you. We're coming back to the chamber now. Go ahead, please. Hi, my name is Tyler. I'm a student at Terralinda. Um, I have a question. Do you guys have uh, any emotion, excluding you, Lucan? I can see the pain in your eyes. Um, but if that is what you feel in your heart, why don't you propose a resolution? Um, or are we all just here talking to a wall? Um, none of you have even acknowledged our concerns, it seems. Not one agenda item has been added to even discuss this. Not, not once. We've been doing this for months, we've been asking you. Hundreds of people. Well, congratulations. You guys have now sat idly by for over 100 days of a genocide. Now people are not just dying from bombs, but from starvation and rampant disease. You've been urged to push for peace, but have ignored the begging of your constituents. 
You see, you guys see the risk this has, not just to the civilians in the Middle East, I hope, but to here too. Biden is sending more troops to the Middle East, escalating this conflict, and has begun attacking Yemen. U.S. generals state that if the U.S. was to get involved into another war, it would potentially have to re-implement the draft to fill the current shortfall of military recruitment. Our blood can and will be spilt on this if we don't, ask, if we don't do something quick. And this could very well be my generation's Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq, etc., the next endless war. Why must we sit... At, at, why must we sit idly by while we are being plundered into, once again, another war? Now, over 30,000 people have died in Palestine since October 7th. Israel has successfully thank, thank eliminated you. all hospitals in Gaza, thank you. and the West Bank up. is being taken over. Israel is set to declare war on Lebanon soon. Thank you. Your time's up. Appreciate it. Please do something. Hi. Um, my name is Crash. I'm Marin born and raised. I have a visual guide. Um, I'm here to ask for the board to pass an immediate ceasefire resolution in regards to the ongoing crisis in Gaza. Uh, each one of these red stick figures, or each one of these stick figures represents 100 dead, um, and the blue stick figures represents the, uh, this current month alone. Um, the death toll so far is 25,000 Palestinians, uh, 3,000 since the new year, um, and that doesn't even include those still trapped under rubble or the injured. And those that have survived are doing so sick, weak, and hungry. 95% of the people facing starvation globally are in Gaza. Whether you believe that Israel was provoked or not, you have to see that the punishment more than outweighs the crime. Apartheid is and never will be excusable, and carrying out a genocide on the Palestinian people in no way classifies as self-defense. Please hear us. Please don't look away and please pass a permanent ceasefire resolution. Thank you for your time. My time. Um, thank you for letting me speak. My name is Mark Galperin. I live uh, in Marin for uh, 29 years. Um, I'm 73. My father was a paratrooper in uh, World War II. Um, and imagine that now is 1943, and uh, US uh, Army came to the border of Germany. And some people would say, now France is liberated, now Russia is liberated, stop. Don't bomb Dresden, don't bomb Berlin, don't bomb anything. Because there is no soap in Germany, true. There is no medication. It's terrible. What's happened after 1943? After 1943, five million Germans has been killed. What is the result? Result is free Germany with over 60 million people living now in peace. This is hypocrisy. In, in memory of our fathers who fought this fascism, we, haven't al we can't allow thank, the thank Hamas, you. I didn't finish. Your time's up, ha so. Thank you. Thank you. 
Hello, my name is Wendy Todd. I've been a resident of Marin County for about 20 years. Um, <clears throat> I'm here to ask that you pass a ceasefire resolution. Um, I remember reading the diary of Anne Frank and thinking, how, if I was alive during that time, I would do all that I could to stop this, this genocide. And then I went to the Anne Frank um, house and I've gone to the Holocaust Museum and it always struck me that the United States took so long to get involved um, and let so many Jewish people and people with disabilities um, die. And so we're at this point where I'm wondering, where are, where are our elected officials? Where are the people that are in power um, that actually have a voice and can do something? Where are they? Where are you, Marin County <laughs> Supervisors? I don't understand um, why you're not using your power and your privilege as white leaders in this county to pass a resolution to call for a ceasefire um, that also releases the prisoners and the hostages. Um, you've all talked about your commitment to equity and being anti-racist and really trying to have an inclusive community in Marin County. And this is actually a really important um, time for you to demonstrate that commitment. Um, because we have Palestinians living here in our county who are um, who are scared and who have family members who are, are dying, and yet we're not doing anything to indicate our solidarity with them. So that's why I'm here. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Good morning. <clears throat> My name is David Glick, and I'm not here to recite to you the grim statistics of death and carnage of the Israeli genocide in Gaza. By now, you know it all. You've heard it all. But when I put myself in your shoes, I imagine you fear that if you endorse the ceasefire resolution and the immediate supply of life-saving humanitarian aid to the people of Gaza, I imagine you might have some fear that some of your constituents might accuse you of being anti-Semitic. And if that's true, then this is surely an upside-down world. Well, I am a proud Jewish American. And when I was a teenager, I asked my beloved grandfather, who was a revered rabbi, what is the essence of Judaism? And he responded with the words of the great prophet Micah, who said, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your creator. I am here to ask you to do what is just and merciful and compassionate as you walk with your creator. And when you do that, I trust that you will find your way to endorse this resolution and join more than 60 cities around the country, including San Francisco, Oakland, Richmond, right here in the Bay Area. We must remember that millions of taxpayers from Marin County are going to support this genocide. That makes us Thank implicit. You. Thank you. It must stop. Thank you. If you would just go like this instead of clap, please. We're going to go online now. We're going to go down to one minute, try and accommodate everyone that's here so you don't have to come back this afternoon. Al, the first next. speakers are Rebecca Collins. Please unmute. Good morning. Um, I am calling this morning as a 41-year resident of Marin County. I have also been a longtime activist in Marin County, and I have been at the Board of Supervisors meetings and have attended meetings all over the county as a person, uh, as a resident of 41 years here in this county. 
Um, what is probably not known about me is my three children are Palestinian. I spent over half my life going back and forth to the state of Israel and to the Palestinian community. My, my little children, you know, sat at those meetings breastfeeding, sat at those meetings on blankets. You know, my kids could beat those kids in Gaza. I expect better of the Board of Supervisors when we have a president that is not responding to the people of this country, when we have a Congress that is not responding to the people of this country. The majority of the people of this country want this to end. Thank, thank you, Rebecca. The next speaker is Sabrina Lizomia. Hi, my name is Sabrina. I'm a lifelong resident of Marin County. I'm going to be reading um, a monologue written by a Palestinian uh, child in 2010. Um, it's part of the Gaza monologues put together by the Ashtar Theater. This is um, Amjad Abu Yasin, born 1993, when I was born, from the Ash Shati camp. The day before the war, Gaza for me was joy and happiness. Trips and going to the sea, life seemed to be happy, and I wasn't thinking about anything. I had one dream, that Gaza would develop in arts and sports. I felt that everything was fine except these two things, but it turned out nothing was fine. No arts, sports, health, or safety. It's all the same. Gaza stopped being the city of my dreams because my dream is to be an actor. Am I going to be an actor for 20 people in Gaza and wait till the border opens? If it was in my hands, I would try as much as possible Thank to reduce death and violence. Thank you. The next speaker is PJ Pfeffer. Please unmute. Hi, uh, thank you. This is uh, Philip Pfeffer speaking uh, on my own behalf as an individual um, who was born and raised in New York City by a Jewish father who grew up in Brooklyn, the son of Eastern European Jews, and a black and Jewish mother who grew up in Harlem and whose family history we can only trace back through Southern property and census data from the mid-1800s for what should be obvious reasons. I was a regular congregant at my local Orthodox synagogue in Lower Manhattan where guests at my bar mitzvah had to be let through NYPD police barricades to even get to the synagogue because it was less than a mile from the World Trade Center and less than three weeks after September 11th. My home was only two blocks north of the site and we were displaced for over half a year. I'm intimately familiar with the um, impacts of violence and that's why I think it's extremely important for this board to support the Gaza ceasefire. Much respect and love to everybody who's been coming to the meetings this whole time and advocating for you to take some action. Thank you. The next speaker is Pamela Springer. Please unmute. Pamela Springer, please unmute. Thank you. My name is Pamela Springer. I've been a resident of Marin County for 30 plus years. We cannot act like what we are seeing is not a genocide. It is happening in real time. We cannot turn away. I demand you pass the ceasefire resolution and be on the right side of history. If any of you want to vote for me in the future, you need to pass this resolution. Ceasefire now. Free Palestine. The next speaker is Deborah Klila. Please unmute. 
Hello, my name is Deborah, and I am a resident of Fairfax, California. <clears throat> As one of your Jewish American constituents, I uh, would like to add my voice to, um, to demanding a ceasefire and assuring you that there are many Jews that have also advocate for ceasefire. I am here today because my great-grandmother was the sole survivor of an attempted genocide in Belarus. And as a sole survivor of attempted genocide, I am begging you, please don't let this happen again. Please do not let this happen anymore to the people in Gaza. Ceasefire now. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to come back to the chamber now. Go ahead. Oh, uh, my name is Avery Flasher Dusganash, and I'm here today to uh, ask that you call for a ceasefire in Gaza. What is happening in Israel and Palestine is not about religion. It is a political project and a white supremacist project, and I find it very telling that it is bourgeois liberals, the Marin elites, that are supporting this, um, this genocide because it was bourgeois liberals in Germany who betrayed the Jewish people and funded and supported Hitler to stop socialism. And then it was communists from the Soviet Union that stormed Berlin and liberated Auschwitz. And now it is brave working class Jewish people that are speaking up for Palestinian lives. I just wanted to point all those things out. Um, Free Palestine, ceasefire now. Hello, my name is Maxine flasher Dusganesh, and I'm going to read a section of an article I published in the Marin Independent Journal that was actually censored, so I'm going to read part of it that was silenced. As someone of Middle Eastern descent with close friends who are Islamic, I have noticed a lot of patronization towards student voices who have come together to call for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. There is a misconception that the phrases stop the genocide and end apartheid as frequently displayed on our signs don't apply to the situation in Gaza, even though there is insurmountable evidence, according to the UN, that the president of Israel is a war criminal. The situation in Gaza is comparable to World War II era concentration camps and exposes Israel's unhumanitarian occupation of Palestinians' land, otherwise known as apartheid. Many who support the war are considered part of the Zionist movement, which weaponizes Jewish trauma and converts us into agents of empire and inexhaustible brutality against Palestinian people. Ceasefire now. Thank you. Hi, my name is Chloe McCullum, and I'm one of your constituents. I'm here to add my voice to the many who have been here before asking for a ceasefire resolution. I, like many others, have been watching innocent people be blown to pieces in mass for almost four months, knowing my tax dollars are paying the bill, and have been witnessing the incredible violence and injustice enacted, by, enacted on Palestinians by the State of Israel for years before this. Um, we're literally watching a genocide in real time. We know that U.S. dollars are funding this, and it's the responsibility of every American to do whatever they can to call for the end of this madness. So again, I'm here asking for you guys to pass a permanent ceasefire resolution. and want to remind you that people have been coming here asking for the same exact thing for almost four months now, and your non-action absolutely does make you party to this genocide, and that can and should rest on your conscience forever. Ceasefire now. Thank you. The gentleman in the hat at the end of the line is the last speaker for open time this morning, so go ahead. 
Good morning, Supervisor. My name is Silke Valentine. I'm, I live in Navarro, and here I'm here to ask you and urge you as our elective representatives to sign a resolution calling for a ceasefire in Gaza and the West Bank. The horrendous suffering, ethnic cleansing, and genocide of the Palestinian people in the occupied homeland has to end. I'm a native German. I lived in Germany for 40 years. I grew up as a youth to learn about the concentration camps, the suffering, horrendous suffering, of the Jews in Germany, the genocide Nazi Germany created on the people uh, now in Israel and, and all over the world. I'm still suffering from the trauma to learn this was people can do to each other. And here we are again. What happening in uh, Gaza is genocide. We have to stop it. We have to stand up for human rights. We cannot thank, have thank this you. again. This will affect also the Israeli youth and young people. Good morning, Ariane Stocking, 30 plus year resident in Marin County. I am standing here in front of you for the third time. I have sent you, I don't know how many emails without response other than one from Katie saying, oh, I'm sorry, we can't take up the ceasefire resolution because it doesn't really pertain to us. What, it doesn't pertain to us? We, our tax dollars, Marin County, the richest county in California, do you know how much of my tax dollars go to bombs? And just a small additional piece of information, according to the report by Defense for Children International, 222 Palestinian children were killed during the 2014 Gaza conflict. As of 2023, there are, listen, 1,000 children killed daily in Gaza and the West Bank. And this is being done with my money. And I beg you, I urge you, listen to your conscience and stop oh, this. Thank you. Ceasefire now. Hello, my name is Nate. I'm a teacher. And I'd imagine many of you have the conception that if you were 1940s, uh, as a German, that you'd have the moral courage to resist genocide, even if it were inconvenient to do so? Well, if that moment were to arise, that moment's now, it's a genocide, and honestly passing a ceasefire resolution is remarkably tame and conservative, and if you prove unwilling to do it, then it reveals a base hypocrisy and complicity, and you would have absolutely not been the type of person to resist the Nazis in World War II. So I'm demanding a ceasefire now. It's the bare minimum you can do. I want to ask the board what you think you have to lose by passing a ceasefire resolution. Regardless of what you think of the Israel-Palestine conflict generally, whether you, whether you favor a one-state solution or a two-state solution, whether you think this has anything to do with us, whether you think Israel or Hamas catalyze the current conflict, surely it should be a politically uncontroversial position to say that we do not abide by the rampant, unrepentant, and reckless slaughter of children. The use of white phosphorus on civilians and the cruel prevention of humanitarian aid from entering Gaza's borders. Palestinian children are not Hamas. The vast majority of Palestinian adults are not Hamas. Many Gazans feel that the global community has abandoned them. Surely it should be politically uncontroversial to let these civilians know that we see them as humans deserving of dignity, 
that our hearts bleed for them and that we want them to be safe and we want the violence to stop. Thank you. W.E.B. Du Bois posed the two essential questions. How does integrity face oppression? And how does honesty face deception? And those are two questions that have guided my studies in this conflict. The two biggest myths are that it's too complicated to understand. And that it's hopeless. It's not too complicated because what Israel and the United States and Britain are doing to Palestine is exactly what the white supremacists who manifested destiny did right here. And it's not hopeless because in 1990, did anybody predict that apartheid would end in South Africa? In 1940, was how many people were predicting the end of Jim Crow in the United States? You can come to a clear and resonant understanding of this war. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Raleigh, we have two minutes, so I'll take you both. That's it, though. Thank you. Uh, Raleigh Katzman, Association of Public Employees. I simply wanted to introduce our new union rep, Mr. Escher Hernandez, to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome. Um, I look forward to working with all of you on behalf of the workers of Maryland County. Thank you. Nice to meet you again. Thank you. All right, we're going to go on to item two now, which is the Board of Supervisor Matters and County Executive Report, which will include a review of the governor's proposed state budget. We'll start this morning with Supervisor Rice. Good morning. I have a, a few updates. Um, first of all, I wanted to share um, that um, I participated um, on a task force that was convened by myself and John Carroll of the Marin County Office of Education um, late August, early September, and the task force was convened in order to um, uh, seek an alternative site for the Fairfax San Anselmo Children's Center to relocate to. Um, either through a purchase or acquisition or, or lease. And the members of that task force, um, there was representatives from MCOE, the Marin County Office of Education, uh, the Marin Community Foundation, the Marin Child Care Commission, the um, Marin Ch Child Care Council, and of course the center itself. And over the um, ensuing three months, um, we pursued different avenues um, towards trying to identify a site that could accommodate the center, um, as I said, um, via purchase or lease, and or what availability there was of um, programs or services out, out in the county, and mostly uh, we were primarily focused on the Ross Valley and Central Marin, because that's where most of the families that are served by the center um, live. Um, if there was actually capacity within either child care uh, programs and or ECE to be able to accommodate the families um, that are currently served by the center. The center has, um, holds over 100 state subsidized child care slots. Um, so, and that represents a significant portion of the county's total state subsidized um, slots. So losing that capacity is important, not only to the families that are served there, but obviously to all of us who are stakeholders and interested in 
uh, early childhood education and child care, especially for um, our lower income families. So um, bottom line, uh, after three months of working uh, pretty diligently to try to find an alternative location, um, basically we came up empty. We found no viable uh, sites, um, either per not having the appropriate amount of space or the ability to convert and meet childcare licensing requirements and or just out of pure price. Um, so that work, um, uh, we issued, John Carroll and myself issued a, um, a, a simple report last week that spoke to that work and I wanted to share that with the board and with the community. Um, we, I raised this issue over a year ago when um, it first became clear that potentially the center was going to need to close or relocate and the county along with Marin Community Foundation and many other stakeholders of course is interested in the subject and we've uh, pledged some money towards um, trying to help that center continue operating either in its own look in the current location or elsewhere. So um, that's that work. I wanted to update you. I think we can we remain concerned as um, as a board uh, around the potential loss of this capacity. Um, and then um, most recently, last week, the Ross Valley School District held a special meeting to hear a proposal from the center um, as they um, had pulled together their resources and a team to um, make another offer to purchase the property. Um, that special um, hearing uh, resulted in a uh, decision by the Ross Valley School District to issue a, um, an eviction notice to the center. I expect that the center and its team will continue to work and seek um, negotiations with the school district. But in the meantime, I think it's really important that um, my colleagues here and um, the county at large recognize what's at risk. Um, these 100, 100 slots that currently serve families and frankly, um, the ability for this county generally to backfill and um, replace those slots is, is gonna be hard to come by. So sorry for that long-winded report. I think it's a really important issue. Um, secondly, I wanted to, um, uh, on a happier note, um, I attended a, a fundraiser for um, in Fairfax for a piece of open space called the Wall Property um, on the weekend. Great Fairfax turnout. Uh, the community was there and um, it was a, a really nice event. I think they did well and um, I, they are working, the community is working with Marin Open Space Trust as well as our county open space district towards uh, finding a way to um, uh, preserve that property. And then um, Lastly, um, there is an item on consent. Um, I just wanna mention, I don't wanna pull it off, and that's consent CA11A, and that speaks to a charter uh, between the County of Marin and the Town of Fairfax um, with regards to our joint efforts to address maintenance and improvements on the Bolinas Road, which is part city, part county, and of critical importance, not just the residents who live there and those of us in the community who use the road, but also as access to um, water supply, emergency access and response um, for the backside of Mount Tam and many other critical um, community functions that that roadway plays. So I'm happy to see that charter on our consent agenda. And that's the end of my report, thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Lucan. 
thank you. Just uh, two quick updates. Uh, on Saturday night, uh, Supervisor Radoni and I had the opportunity to attend the City of Nevada's Paint the Town Red event. It's the birthday party for the city, which turned 64, and we got to sing happy birthday to a city, which is always unique. Um, but we also got to celebrate uh, Paul Price, who was recognized as the Citizen of the Year in Novato, and Barbara Madrid for the Spirit of uh, Novato Award for her work with uh, the book place uh, that's in downtown Novato. Um, secondly, uh, early this morning, I got to participate in the biennial point-in-time count. Um, I know it's a huge undertaking, um, starting with our uh, County Health and Human Services team and all of our partners in doing it. I've been able to participate in the past before. I think my biggest takeaway from this year is the, the team that I, or the group that I was teamed with um, included a case manager, and as we were out uh, in some of the marsh areas in Novato um, trying to get a more accurate account uh, on our unhoused population, uh, the folks that I was with knew the name of every single individual. Uh, they even knew the names of the dogs uh, as we were out there interacting um, uh, with individuals very early in the morning. I think that just shows the progress we've made as a county in funding case managers and partnering with our cities and towns. Uh, it will be a few months before we have all of the numbers on today's point in time count, um, but progress continues to be made, and I think that's money being well spent in making those connections and knowing exactly uh, who uh, is, is in our unhoused community. So uh, good, good way to start the morning. Thank you. Supervisor Moulton-Peters. Yes, good morning, everyone. I have four items to report on. The first uh, is I joined the annual celebration of Martin Luther King Day last Monday in Marin City. It was a true day of celebration in the newly reopened Marin City Recreation Center. Uh, there was entertainment, community awards, and inspirational speakers, including the Reverend Dr. Goins, the former pastor of St. Andrew's Church, who came back and gave a very inspiring and motivating a speech to the community leaders and members of the community. I was glad to be a part of that. Uh, tomorrow at the Metropolitan Met uh, Transportation Commission, uh, we will hear a item about enabling legislation for a future regional transportation revenue measure that MTC would sponsor for placement on the ballot in 2026 or later. It will focus on reforms to enhance transit coordination and will be uh, the starting point of legislation that will have the flexibility to explore revenue options, expenditure priorities, and return to source uh, geographic priorities. The intent is to deliver rider-focused outcomes by strengthening MTC's role as a regional transit network manager and to implement the Transit Transformation Action Plan that was developed by MTC uh, within the last two years. The expenditure plan would be developed uh, over the next coming two years and prior to placement on the ballot. Uh, third, I uh, have joined uh, the third meeting of a group of Bay Area electeds and agency staff members to develop a model for sea level rise governance for the Bay Area. It was an initiative that I initiated myself as a member of uh, MTC and BCDC and understanding that there was a need to coordinate funding and grant funding requests among the agencies. So that is being coordinated by the Bay Area Regional Collaborative uh, and uh, is moving forward. It will obviously take us a while to pull guiding principles and, uh, and specific details together. 
but it mirrors very well the uh, local Marin County sea level rise governance uh, uh, initiative that we've started uh, here in the county. Supervisor Rice and I are the board subcommittee. We have recently uh, received an initial round of interviews with uh, consultants who we are considering to assist us with organizing a sea level rise governance uh, effort for Marin County and then secondly to help us organize our county uh, program itself. So I'm looking forward to following this through in the coming months and that's my report. Thank you. Supervisor Second. Thank you. Um, like Supervisor Lucan, I was able to participate in the point in time count this morning with um, a couple of folks from Community Action Marin, which is, you know, it's this biannual count which allows us to see what progress were being made and also really dictates what amount of services and funding we get um, in order to provide those services. Um, it's always a interesting morning and really a look at our community in a way that you don't see during the day. So I appreciated that opportunity and my aides were on a different, um, in a di different census track um, doing that as well. Um, last week, um, Dr. Willis, myself, folks from Transportation Authority, Marin, um, we met with the Mineta Institute. And if you recall, last year there was Senate Bill 381 was passed, which asked um, the Mineta Institute to do a study regarding e-bikes and sort of what the best path forward is in legislation. And so that work began January 1st. We met with their research team to share the data we've been tracking, how we've been tracking it, sort of what we've seen, and, and um, the Mill Valley Ordinance and others to give them that groundwork. Um, and so that was really encouraging. And it's supposed to be a two-year study, but the indication from the team was understanding the urgency and wanting to get a report out within a year. Um, so I look forward to seeing that work. And then I also just want to note, um, not pull it, but note that CA1C um, is a resolution recognizing human trafficking awareness month. And I know we have a couple folks who are online and um, in the chambers, but just recognizing the work of the Marin County Coalition to End Human Trafficking founded in 2014 and that collaborative of the district's attorney's office, um, county agencies, law enforcement, nonprofits, faith and community organizations, and many individuals who really work on, um, I think an unseen, um, but what our law enforcement folks know is, a, is does exist in Marin County and that's human trafficking. So I wanna recognize their work too. Thank you. <clears throat> I have just one item. For those of you who may not know, we have a County Fish and Wildlife Commission, and I recently attended one of their meetings in particular to hear a report from the North Bay Bear Coalition. Interestingly enough, Marin has 19 verified sightings of bears since May of 2021. The most recent at Deer Camp Drive in San Geronimo Valley, right next to Open Space. It was a clear message from them that the black bears are coming and we really need to make some adjustments in our environment to accommodate them, um, and, and especially around our emergency response to a bear sighting and things. So they have a lot of they had a lot of great ideas that I plan on following up with um, some of our staff here at the county, and uh, it was really interesting. And I think the numbers were quite quite alarming, but the black the black bears are coming was their message, and I think it was a clear message to all of us. So thank you, and I'm going to go now to Matthew for 
executive. Um, good, good morning, work. supervisors. Just two items. One, I just wanted to highlight on our update memo that we submitted the MOU document for items, uh, both items, parks and sanctuary 9A and open space 6F-2. And uh, they're the exact same MOU and um, we need to approve them by both boards. And so just to highlight that's been posted and is online. And then secondly, I wanted to give Talia Smith, our legislative director, an opportunity to give a high-level overview of the governor's proposed budget that was recently uh, issued. Good morning, board. Uh, we've distributed a two-page, very high-level summary um, of many, many more pages from the governor's budget. I'm just going to highlight a few items for you this morning, and this will be uh, very brief. So just wanted to start with on January 10th, uh, one day after we gave our legislative plan update, the governor did release his January budget proposal. Um, just want to say top line, the biggest uh, piece in this is that the LAO, the Legislative Analyst Office, in early December did estimate a $68 billion deficit, and the governor's budget estimated a $38 billion deficit. I do just want to highlight that the LAO did come out with their report on the January, the governor's January budget, which said uh, there's, really they think the difference is closer to $10 billion, uh, because there's a number of things that the governor has put in his budget and considered baseline, but actually require legislative action. And so that's a big difference, is that the LAO doesn't consider those baseline, the governor does. Um, so I just wanna say the difference is closer to 10 billion. <clears throat> a few other just high level things on revenues. Uh, the big reason that we're in a deficit is personal <clears throat> income tax and corporate taxes are down. I just want to highlight that personal income tax represents 60% of the state's general fund, and the top 1% of earners who pay that represent just over half of that. So those are much are, are really down, and that's really what's driving our deficit. Uh, I just do want to say one bright spot is that sales and use tax, which does include realignment, is actually up over expectations. Um, so that is one uh, small bright spot in a very large deficit. Uh, just a few uh, key things from the budget. There's three ways the governor is addressing the deficit. One, withdrawing from reserves. Two, spending reductions, delays. I'll highlight a few of those. And then the third is revenue increases in borrowing. So withdrawing from reserves, um, he does take a sizable chunk out of the rainy day fund from the, from the state budget. And he also has actually zeroed out the safety net reserves, which is an account that's actually for sa social safety net programs. Um, LAO thinks that's legal, but a little dubious. Uh, spending reductions, delays, and deferrals. We did actually highlight uh, SB 525, which was the minimum wage for healthcare workers in our legislative plan. The governor is actually asking the legislature to take early action to make those minimum wage increases subject to general fund availability uh, and actually exempt state healthcare workers from it. So that would be a sizable amount of savings. Um, the biggest thing that we can say right now and how these things will affect Marin is there was major either delays or um, reductions in essentially these large grant programs that do benefit counties like us. So for example, I apologize for the acronyms in this two-pager, we just wanted to keep it to two pages, but BHCIP, BCHIP, the Behavioral Health Continuum Infrastructure Program is actually part of what funded 30 Joseph Court. There was a big a chunk of that delayed a year um, we also saw behavioral health bridge, bridge housing delayed. 
I did want to highlight CARE Act funding was essentially maintained, the amount of funding that was in last year's budget, so we don't see a reduction right now in that. Um, as well as the $200 million to county public health departments last year that actually did expand a large chunk of our public health workforce that is all maintained, that is ongoing funding. Um, as well as full scope coverage to undocumented Medi-Cal, um, full scope Medi-Cal coverage to undocumented residents. That was also maintained. Um, we did have a large chunk of general fund that was going to supplement HAP, which is the Homeless Housing Assistance and Prevention Program. That is a big chunk of how we use our funds to um, assist individuals that are experiencing homelessness here in Marin. Uh, there also was a big cut of the Active Transportation Program, which is a very large grant program for local governments, for counties um, and cities, and it is administered regionally by MTC um, and uh, statewide by the California Transportation Commission. Last year's budget had a billion-dollar investment in ATP, which um, was exciting, and that has actually been reduced down to uh, $850 million. Uh, just running down the list, other things to highlight, SB 1383, known as the Composting Compliance Bill, there was some funding for local governments to implement that. Nearly all of that was actually reduced. I do want to highlight wildfire. Our fire chief who is here has confirmed that uh, there are no cuts to Marin's CAL FIRE program expansion through this budget, but a big thing the governor did propose was shifting large pieces of the general fund that was going to supplement wildfire fighting over to the greenhouse gas reduction fund known as the GGRF. This is known as a fund shift, basically as a way to save general fund dollars. Um, again, legal, um, and so we'll see what the legislature does with that. Uh, lastly, I did just want to highlight that there was major reductions as well as delays for grant funding programs for sea level rise, coastal resilience. So we really want to monitor over the next few months, uh, you know, what those impacts really mean for funding opportunities for counties like us that have a lot of coastline. Uh, finally, I just want to highlight in terms of revenue increase, the governor has kind of doubled down on his commitment that he is not going to impose a wealth tax uh, to make up for some of this deficit. Uh, but we do want to add a few of the ways uh, on the revenue side that he's solving this. He is asking the legislature to take action to reduce Prop 98, which is education funding, down to the minimum level. Um, that is actually an example of what the governor has put in his baseline, but the LAO has said, well, that requires legislative action. So we are considering that part of our larger deficit. Um, Medi-Cal managed care organization tax uh, it is essentially a tax on providers, but what it does is the state collects those funds and they can draw down more federal funds with it. That's why it's such a revenue generator for the state. Um, it's actually going to generate almost $20 billion over the next three and a half years, and the governor is asking the legislature to increase it a little bit more. We already talked about realignment uh, is expected to have some growth. Um, and then finally, gas and diesel tax revenues which do account, um, it's actually 70% of county road funding, uh, do have some growth, so we do expect um, to see uh, what we've expected in those buckets. So that's it. 
we'll uh, keep you apprised. And on the first page of the summary is just a uh, deadline of what you can expect in the next few months. The next step is between uh, the next step is the governor will release his May revised budget. But in between now and then, the legislature, the Senate, and the Assembly budget subcommittees will come up with their own spending plans based on this governor's January budget. Thank you. And Great. if you have any questions, I'm happy. Matthew, to anything else? To add? I'm going to bring it back to the board for any questions of Matthew or Talia. No questions. Thank you for the report. Talia is very complete. Yeah. Good. Yeah, Talia, thank you. So um, I'm assuming at this point you can't tell us um, exactly in what the governor's budget will mean in terms of ongoing programs here at the county in terms of cuts or, or increases, so the detail to follow. Um, and similarly, I'm hearing just a, a, a loud message that a lot of the potential uh, grant opportunities for various kinds of infrastructure, housing development, voucher programs um, is going to be a lot less than what we expected. So that's sort of the top of the fold. That is correct. Right now, the major impacts are on these supplemental one-time grant programs, which is really where the governor's directed his budgets in the last few years. So we aren't seeing ongoing cuts, but of course, some of our major service enhancements are based on these one-time grant programs. So it does impact us. Eric, anything? No, thank you. Go ahead. So, uh, it's really foregoing future opportunities that we're seeing. That, that generally speaking, we will not have to reduce our current services, but we won't get, have those opportunities that were put out there and we would have been able to apply for grant funds. That, that's the major impact. But as, as Talia said, we have the May revise, we have the legislature's actions, and we can report back to you what those impacts are later on. All right, thank you. So now we're going to go for public comment on these items. These are Board of Supervisors the executive report and or the state budget report. And we're going online first. Al, please, in two minutes. The first speaker is Emma, please unmute. Thanks, can you hear me okay? Yes, we can, go ahead. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, I'd like to bring to the attention of the Board of Supervisors in a, in a public forum um, the issue of uh, the correspondence that was revealed through a CPRA request. It was a letter, an email sent to the Board of Supervisors by Heidi Merchant. Uh, Heidi Merchant is a former Marin County Sheriff Deputy and a former Sonoma County Sheriff Deputy who is married to the third most powerful law enforcement official in Sonoma County. Uh, Ms. Merchant's uh, letter to the Board of Supervisors is fascinating because it reveals uh, that rather than uh, trying to protect the First Amendment, um, she's actively engaged in trying to shut down any criticism of her role on the Sheriff's Civilian Oversight Working Group. Um, she utterly mischaracterizes comments that were made during the meeting. And further, she completely omits uh, the reality that I was assaulted by uh, the chair of your Human Rights Commission. This was not the first incidence of violence against me at a Human Rights Commission meeting for simply reporting what was in, you know, what, what data I had retrieved uh, by California Public Records Act 
that did not paint the county in a very good light. I am concerned that, you know, obviously she had qualified immunity as a Marin County deputy. She's currently a government official, um, government employee in, in Napa County, and that means that she still has qualified immunity. Since she's still on your scout, do you need to do a review of whether it's appropriate to have people who have qualified immunity on your commissions? Thank, I, thank, I, you, I thank, you. thank you, Eva. Thank you. Thank you. The next speaker is Cecilia Zamora. Please unmute. All right. I can't do the video, right? I can just talk. Okay. <laughs> Hi. Um, my name is Cecilia Zamora, and I'm executive director of the Latino Council and the co-chair of the Marin County Coalition to End Human Trafficking. On behalf of the coalition, I want to thank the Board of Supervisors and President Radoni with a special thanks also to Supervisor Mary Sackett for carrying this resolution on today's agenda. It is so important to share this information on human trafficking to the general public as well as to alert our policymakers to support the activities that address this issue. I wanted to let you know that in recent years we have been collaborating with San Francisco and Sonoma County coalitions because we do know that the human trafficking is a regional issue. Is, um, I do want to recognize the other members of our 2023 coalition leadership because we know it wouldn't uh, happen without a group of, uh, of, of interested and important uh, partners. Um, and also recognize the leadership of, of District Attorney Lori Fergali and her team. Um, our 2023 coalition leadership included Rosemary Sloat, Selma Tejero, and Ari Castillo of the DA's office, Paula Camina, retired Marin County DA, Lila Gavlik and Lorena Vega of the San Rafael Police Department, Luce Alvarado and Kate Kane from the Center for Domestic Peace, Marlene Capra, Speak Safe, Save uh, Adolescents from Exploitation, Sandra Hans, iGreen Media Group, and our wonderful staff, Althea Noctigal, who is assistant to DA Lori Fergoli. Um, in addition, I know that Lori is there and I'm hoping that she gets a chance to speak and Marlene Capra is also there. Um, we want to invite you and the public to our quarterly general meeting on Friday the 26th at 10.30 via Zoom. And you can get this information of our event on our website, www.mccdht.org. Thank you so much for your support, Supervisors. The next speaker is Donna Pye. Please unmute. Good morning again. Um, I've spoken about this in the past, and I guess I have some concerns. Um, at the last time I spoke, I think our um, federal deficit was about 33 trillion. It's now up, up over 34 trillion and uh, climbing at 1.5 trillion every six months. It seems to be that um, here in California, the um, state government, the governor, has not fulfilled his obligations for doing um, federal audit reports which will um, impact the, his ability to borrow any money uh, because our credit rating will drop dramatically and the cost will go up. So um, I, I feel that the state legislature is in a little bit of a denial about the declining revenue and the um, poor state of the financial situation here in California, which will then come down again and impact the county. And so I know I've been on these calls many, many times and you've been very generous to NGOs in terms of helping them fund. And I think it's time that you take a look at exactly where you're spending all of your money because I think that tough times are ahead. Thank you very much. 
Then the, the next speaker is PJ Pfeffer. Please unmute. Thank you. Um, uh, Philip Pfeffer speaking on my own behalf as an individual. Um, I would like to follow up to Supervisor Rice's comment and appreciate her concern for the Fairfax and Anselmo Children's Center. Um, I wasn't able to attend, but uh, watched the recording of the most recent meeting of the Ross Valley Board of Trustees special meeting and was dismayed to see that they've directed their counsel to um, issue an eviction notice to the Children's Center um, within 30 days. Uh, I'd like to urge this board and Supervisor Rice to continue her efforts to um, do everything they can to assist the Fairfax and Anselmo Children's Center in this process, including offering um, whatever assistance they can uh, from a legal matter in um, opposing or um, delaying this uh, eviction process until, you know, while the, my understanding of the Children's Center is continuing to pursue purchasing the property from the board. Uh, it's bizarre that the board uh, is both um, struggling with uh, proposed budget deficits and lack of school funding and yet wouldn't accept millions of dollars from this, uh, from the Children's Center to, to purchase a process, uh, property and take the uh, liability that's uh, supposedly their concern off their hands. Um, I wanted to quickly, in the time I have now, given the uh, brevity of public comment, just quickly read uh, one sentence from the governor's proposed budget. Um, uh, it states here, the current high rates there is also a specific risk that Iran could be joined, drawn into the current Israel-Hamas conflict and disrupt oil shipping through the Persian Gulf, driving up oil prices and causing other supply chain issues. The war is thank, a thank you. Your time's up. Earn as well. The next speaker is Rodrigo Skierko. Please unmute. Hi, I want to talk about again a public records re uh, request that I received from. Um, Curtis Aiken, Commissioner HRC, in which, in which he says himself that the HRC should be paused, which is exactly what has happened. He also says that the, all the commissioners, that they, um, that they have new candidates and they should reapply. So he himself is acknowledging that the HRC is out of control and there is uh, violence in it and it has to be reorganized. And also a letter from the chair, Jeremy Forget, also in his letter of December the 12th, says also that it should, uh, uh, that they should, they're planning to have a meeting, um, annual meeting to, this, uh, to discuss their plans. And also he is suggesting that the HRC not be connected with human resources, but be under the office of OOE, the Office of Equity under Hamila Jordan. So in other words, he is changing what has been traditionally um, done. He wants to do it his way, and he wants more protection by going to another uh, entity, which is not exactly what you have prescribed. So in other words, there seems to be a lot of disconnect among themselves as to what is the 
the course of action for their HRC. They are totally a mess, and they, and they are trying to blame other people for their mess by blaming journalists uh, and, and, and even attacking physically. So in other words, they are totally out of control, and the county is liable for all their injuries. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to bring back here to the chamber now. Go ahead. Uh, given you mentioned bears, is it okay if I uh, have a question? Yeah, we can't answer any questions, but go ahead and make your comment. Uh, I would like to note that Point Reyes National Seashore and Golden Gate National Recreation Area have the potential to be great uh, habitat for black bears and if we follow through on the original plan to make it industry free it will be much better uh, bear habitat than it would possibly be right now thank you Good morning, my name is Steve Schwartz. I've met many of you. I'm the director of the Interfaith Food Collaborative. I wanna talk about the governor's budget. I'm happy to be representing the Marin Food Policy Council, which for about 20 years has been bringing groups together to look at food justice issues in the, in the county. Um, one of the programs that didn't make the cut on your two-pager is the California Nutrition Incentive Program. Um, the governor had it funded at 35 million, cut it down to 2.5 million. Um, we are asking that you work with us and put the county's lobbying um, power to work to help to you know, preserve this funding. And if not, um, be prepared to make the program whole, um, which is not expensive. In Marin, it could be as little as $200,000. So what does CNIP do? The California Nutrition Incentive Program and nutrition incentives are essentially a way to make sure that low-income people are encouraged to spend their dollars, whether it be uh, CalFresh, formerly known as food stamps, or federally SNAP, use those dollars for fruits and vegetables. And how does it work? They buy fruits and vegetables from local farmers, which then multiplies you know, the impact in the county. Uh, I've been a professional you know, food and farmer advocate for 30 years, and I know a lot of CDFA and USDA programs. Nothing is run more solidly than this program. Um, it, from soup to nuts, and it does, the state money is leveraged by uh, federal dollars and also these decisions of local folks. Um, the Marine Food Policy Council, we're talking to Assemblyman Connolly and Senator McGuire, uh, but we need your help um, the, because things are not looking <laughs> great. Um, so, so be ready. Um, if I have 30 seconds more, I'll say um, this whole nutrition incentive work started from a um, a guy who went on to be a Secretary of Agriculture, um, or Deputy Secretary of Agriculture, it's being at a farmer's market and seeing a low-income woman with a baby get down on her hands and knees after the farmer's market, picking up tomatoes on the, in the gutter and taking them home to wash for her kids. And he said, what, there's a lot of folks that want to see this food, um, this nutrition, nutritionally dense food, get home. And this is how we do it. This is Thank a key you. part. Thanks for your support. Thank you. So I'm going to bring it back to Matthew or Talia. If any comments on that, happy to follow up on that item and follow the legislation and, and consider an opposed position. Great, thank you. Okay, we're going to go on to agenda item three now, which is three and four, which are the consent calendars. I'm pulling three A, three A twelve or C A twelve. I'm sorry, 
And just to give the sheriff an opportunity to provide more information on that item, and we'll do that separately. So anyone wants to comment on CA-12, please hold your comments. Do we have that agenda item? Um, any other uh, information on the consent calendar that anyone has that wants to address at this point? And again, the resolution that's on the consent calendar when we call for public comment on the consent calendars, which I'm going to do right now, uh, feel free to speak on any item on the consent calendar, including resolutions. So I'm looking for public comment on the consent calendar A and B, and if you would keep your comments related to the consent calendars, I'd appreciate it. Al, are you seeing anyone online? President Rodelli, there are no speakers in the queue. All right, we'll close the online comments and we'll go into the chamber. Welcome, Lori Figoli. Good morning. Um, we'll keep it quick because uh, Cecilia Zamora, my co-chair, I think gave a brilliant overview of what our coalition has been doing and what we're doing moving forward to educate uh, our community and uh, keep our children and people safe in the community. Uh, we do thank you for this resolution. We hope people take the time to read it. Um, when we are asked, does human trafficking really occur? Does it happen in Marin? How come I don't see it? Um, that is the very information we will be presenting publicly at Friday at our Human Trafficking Coalition quarterly report. So um, we will have an expert uh, officer from the Pittsburgh Police Department and he will be explaining exactly why, if you pay more attention, you will be seeing it, and why victims don't report these crimes, and why it's so difficult for us to investigate them. And I do have with me my colleague, Marlene Capra, and I just want to give her a little bit of time to say what she's doing in our schools to educate our children so they're not victims of these crimes. Oh, thank you, Lori. I want to thank you all, all of you for today for your support, and especially our DA and our DA's office uh, with the Marin Coalition. My name is Marlene Capra. Our organization is Speak Safe, Save Adolescents from Exploitation. We have a team of students that I have mentored and brought on board. We have like 25 from all our schools in Marin County and in our colleges, and we are addressing this in our schools by providing these mandated trainings. The mandate came down in 2018, and we, uh, partnered with our uh, Office of Education to bring these to our schools and our school districts and get this information out. What is a human trafficking? What's exploitation? How does it happen? We know that it's changed over the years. What can we do? How do we support our, our, our kids and our students in our community? How we as a community identify and be able to um, support those uh, that we see day to day. So um, I want to say it's an unfunded mandate, and I do have to acknowledge the many wonderful donors that have come forth because they just value the health of our kids. And I thank you as well for supporting our youth here in Marin County. Thank you. Thank you. Rally? Uh, addressing items on C on consent B as well as consent A. Yes, please. Yeah. On CB3, this is the creation of 16 FTE in the Fire Department Dispatch. We haven't completed our bargaining on this subject. Uh, we put your folks on notice about a year ago that we needed to bargain. Other than a, an email from Chief Weber, we heard nothing. Uh, and then um, several weeks ago, you had an item on the agenda, and we sent an email to the powers to be, and it got pulled. We're still involved in bargaining. I'm hopeful that we're going to get it resolved very soon, but I think it's premature for you to take action on it until we complete that process. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I'm going to bring it back uh, to uh, the board members here. If we're ready, we can move the consent calendar A, 
A, less CA 12. I'll move consent A, less item 12. Second. We have motion and second. All those in favor say aye. 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 Okay. So I'm going to call up now CA 12. Welcome Lieutenant Collins. And maybe if you can give us an overview of this item. Good morning, Supervisor Rodoni. Good morning, Board. My name is Brennan Collins. I'm a lieutenant with the Marin County Sheriff's Office. I am the uh, operations lieutenant assigned to the Marin County Jail. Uh, I'm here to talk about the SCAP program, which stands for the State Criminal Alien Assistance Program. Uh, it is a grant, federal grant program run in conjunction with the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the Department of Homeland Security, SCAP provides federal payments to states and localities that incurred correctional officer salary costs for incarcerating undocumented criminal aliens with at least one felony or two misdemeanor convictions for violations of state or local law and incarcerated for at least four consecutive days during the reporting period. So incarcerated people that meet that criteria qualify for federal funding through this grant to the Marin County Sheriff's Office General Fund. We contract with a company called Justice Benefits Incorporated, which assists us in identifying the incarcerated people that qualify for this grant and apply for the grant for us um, through those said agencies and assist us in acquiring the funding through this program. Justice Benefits Incorporated, JBI, takes a percentage uh, for their services out of the grant funding uh, which is paid um, through them through through the grant, not the Sheriff's Office fund. That's essentially a, a high overview of the SCAP program. Um, I can help you answer any questions or anything else if you're looking for more information. Okay, thank you, Lieutenant. Questions of board members? Uh, I'm sorry, so could you clarify what the funding is used for then, please? The funding received goes to the Sheriff's Office general fund. Uh, to assist with um, running day-to-day -day operations of the sheriff's office as it pertains to uh, the jail, other divisions, it, it goes to our general fund. Go ahead. It's just getting reimbursement so that we, if we get $350,000 from the federal government that can be spent in other areas of our budget. So it's reducing their net county cost. Thank you. Anything else? Okay. Um, so, uh, Lieutenant Collins, so as I view this, this sort of also is after the fact, going after costs that we've already sort of expended. We're trying to get reimbursement for those costs. Correct. The Sheriff's Office is obligated to accept bookings under any circumstances for local charges. Some of those individuals who we accept happen to be undocumented, not citizens of the United States. This program allows us to receive money after the fact. Great. Thank you. All right. We're going to go online for any comments on this item. CA 12. President Rodoni. Uh, yes, we have Eva. Please unmute. Thank you. I would just like to point out that um, there's kind of a pattern. When there are important issues dealing with the sheriff, we don't see any members of your sheriff civilian oversight working group attending. Um, and it just, it just raises questions about 
the overall project. There hasn't been any response from the county about the severe conflicts of interest um, with the, the people who were selected. And you know, I've, I've spoken at some length um, about law enforcement ties not being disclosed um, and, and about Charlie Drezzo's uh, contract. But I, I am deeply troubled uh, by the document that was retrieved via CPRA that shows Heidi Merchant deliberately lying about the person who uh, exposed these conflicts of interest. It, you know, how do you go forward with such a problematic group? How do you, how do you even pretend um, to, to do oversight when you are stacking the oversight group with people with massive conflicts of interest? Charlie Trezzo, those are you know, two one-year contracts totaling over $3 million. Heidi Merchant uh, not disclosing any of her law enforcement background, either at Marin County or Sonoma County Sheriff, plus um, her, her you know, partnership. She's married to the assistant sheriff of Sonoma County. Then we have to talk about uh, Jeremy Portage, Curtis Aikens, um, a slew of other people who not only didn't represent the people who needed to be represented uh, in terms of civilian oversight, but really represent the interests of the county. And thank, thank you. Time's up. The next speaker is Donna Five. Please unmute. I am not an economist and um, not a CPA, but I do know that um, if federal funds and grant money is reduced, and the county is depending on those funds for general fund issues. I would like to know and have somebody explain the reserves of our county are so low, I think somewhere down around five or 6% and they're supposed to be somewhere between 17 and 25%, where, where the makeup money is gonna come in if the federal funds are reduced, thank you. Thank you. Okay, coming back to the chamber, Raleigh. Go ahead. <clears throat> Raleigh Katzman, Association of Public Employees, speaking to CA12. As a matter of public policy, the federal government should bear the costs related to immigration, uh, be that um, the border state shouldn't put up barbed wire and barriers in the water, and but should also pay for the cost of related to uh, to people who are here, including the cost of sheltering people, feeding people. And if people are incarcerated, it makes sense the federal government, not local government, should pay those costs. So it seems completely logical that this county would pursue this grant from the federal government so that the federal government, not local government, pay for these costs, which provides more revenue, local revenue, here for local services. And lastly, um, your reserves are very healthy. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, I'm gonna bring it back to the board. We need a motion on CA-12, please. I'll move CA-12. Second. Been moved and second. We approve CA-12. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Abstain? That motion carries. Thank you, Lieutenant. Thank you, Board. All right, we're going to move on to calendar item B. Uh, there's five items there. I was going to give Chief Weber a chance to speak to CB-3, which was brought up in public comment. Thank you, Chief. President, board members, good morning. Thank you. Um, 
as you're all well aware, uh, over the last course of the last about 18 months, uh, a lot of planning and work has been done associated with bringing fire and EMS dispatching services under one roof, which will be the first time in county history that we are under one roof and provides uh, a great deal of security and safety in a challenging environment as we know. Um, I want to certainly acknowledge uh, Raleigh's comments and uh, the work that we've been doing with MAPE um, to move forward on this. Uh, we, we are committed to that bargaining process. Uh, moving this forward today doesn't preclude us to continue to bargain in good faith. And uh, as, as Raleigh acknowledged, we're getting close. Um, but this is also very time sensitive as this transition, um, you know, the sheriff is down a dozen plus positions um, and we have to keep the lights on. 911 service is not something we can have a break in. Um, th that, that really is the factor today and, and you know, we are committed and obligated um, to bargain and continue to bargain in good faith um, and we'll do that. Um, but right now, time is of the essence so we can move the project forward. The go live date is July 1st, um, and uh, we have to meet that time frame. Thank you, Chief. Questions of Chief Weber? All right. So I'm looking for a motion for consent calendar B, please. I'll move consent calendar B. Second. Okay, we have a motion and a second. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Abstain? That motion's carried, so consent power B is approved. Good luck, Chief, and good luck, uh, Raleigh Katz from MAPE. All right, item five is a request from the Department of Health and Human Service Division of Behavioral Health and Recovery Services to receive informational updates on the expansion and hours of mobile crisis response team. And now I'll turn it over to staff, so welcome. Hi, thank you. Good morning. Um, I'm Michelle Funes, Arteaga Division Director in Behavioral Health and Recovery Services, overseeing uh, the Forensic and Mobile Crisis Division. I think you're waiting on your slides here. I also want to introduce Emily Mann. Uh, she is the program manager in our division. She's been here about seven months, and we're very happy to have her. She's going to do a few of the slides. Yeah, you want to? So the background is that in December of 22, DHCS issued a mandate that um, all counties uh, create a 24-hour, 365-day-a-year uh, mobile crisis benefit. Um, so that was an expansion of, of the hours of mobile crisis, as well as an expansion in what we do. Previously, the team was more focused on um, mental health-related crises, meaning those that might uh, result in a 5150 hold. Um, and this expansion now also involves rela uh, responding to substance use disorder related crises. Um, in addition, there were um, there are now uh, more specific uh, protocols for how we decide whether or not to um, dispatch a team in person, the kind of information that we gather, um, and the tasks that we do, and we'll go into that a little bit more. Next slide. So I just want to mention that mobile crisis is part of a um, continuum of pre-crisis and crisis services. Um, so we have the non-immediate need, what we think of sometimes as pre-crisis, someone that needs assistance but not necessarily right now. Uh, 988, um, someone needs assistance now and, and can be supported over the phone. 
Um, this is, uh, I'll be going into these, all of these a little bit more on the next slides. A mobile crisis, um, and then the crisis unit. Next slide. So the non-immediate, as I said, is someone needing assistance, um, but not at this very moment necessarily. So they can call BHRS Access, the warm line, um, and other community uh, resources. Next slide. 988 is the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. It's operated by Buckaloo in Marin County, um, available 24-7, 365. Um, and this is for someone who's open to phone support, not in immediate danger or need of immediate medical attention, um, where they should call 911. Um, if needed, 988 can transfer calls to um, other uh, higher levels of response if needed. Next slide. Mobile crisis, um, this is someone who uh, could use phone or in-person uh, in support. Um, again, danger, uh, there's no immediate danger uh, to um, anyone in the community. Um, we are now 24-7, um, 365. Um, when a field response is needed, we do our, our triage process and determine that we need to go out. Response times are within 60 minutes for urban areas and 120 minutes for rural areas. In Marin, um, our uh, rural areas are West Marin, some parts of West Marin. Next slide. The crisis stabilization unit um, is where, uh, it's our 5150 receiving facility in the county, um, and so folks are taken there if they are on um, uh, that kind of a hold, or if they are, they can also go on a voluntary um, if they need that on-site support. Um, also 24-7, 365, and when um, individuals are taken there, they can be there for up to 24 hours, and the crisis unit conducts a thorough evaluation and determines next steps for that person. Next slide. So some data. Um, in 2023, the team answered over 2,600 calls um, from community and law enforcement. We are anticipating um, in the coming couple of years as much as a 20% increase in calls um, with the addition of Sunday. So previously we were roughly 8 a.m. to 9, 9 p.m. Um, Monday through Saturday. So we're adding Sunday and we're adding overnights um, to that schedule. Uh, but about 60% of the time we respond without law enforcement. So this obviously frees up law enforcement to respond to public safety issues. Next slide. Um, as you can imagine, San Rafael and Novato um, are the majority of our calls. Um, 60, nearly 64% of our calls in San Rafael um, were from individuals who are stably housed. Um, and you can see some more data there, about 25% between ages 25 and 44, 1.2% for um, kiddos under 12, and 10% for those over 65. Next slide. A little bit about community collaboration. We really work with everyone. We get calls um, from, you know, the, the majority of our calls are um, from loved ones, from law enforcement, um, and from individuals calling about themselves. Um, but we also get calls, and we get calls transferred from 988. Um, we get, uh, we work closely with the SAFE team, um, the FERS, the foster care uh, response system, we work closely with them. Um, we've gotten calls from healthcare providers who have a, a medical healthcare provider um, who have a patient that they're very, very worried about um, and, and don't really know where else to try to get this person assistance. So we've gotten those kinds of calls as well. Next slide. So I'm going to turn it over to Emily for the next few slides. Is this working? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, 
So we have our own dispatch and our own uh, phone number that folks can call. So the call comes directly into the mobile crisis team. Uh, we have a dispatcher that uses uh, a screening form to uh, determine what sort of a response is necessary. Um, there's collaboration and consultation with the clinical team, the unit supervisors as needed, at which point it'll be determined whether a phone or a field response is best. Uh, if there is a field response, well, in both cases, really, but in a field response, uh, a team of clinicians will go out and do a crisis assessment, safety planning, provide resources, really any level of support that's required uh, for the individual in crisis. Um, there's crisis planning as well as uh, care coordination, follow-up contacts, um, certainly warm handoffs with other teams or if, if folks need to be reconnected to services in the community. Next slide. So the program design is uh, we have a multidisciplinary team into the field. Um, multidisciplinary looks like uh, crisis specialists uh, who are licensed clinicians, social service workers, as well as certified peer counselors. So all different levels of service out in the field working with folks uh, depending on what's going on with them. Uh, we are looking to bring in many more folks with a, a bilingual capacity. Um, and also in our expansion, we'll be doing more um, outreach and engagement in the schools. Um, so we're really, we're excited for that. Next slide. So our, our design and really our model is certainly person-centered, trauma-informed, equity-driven, um, really working from a lens of least restrictive interventions. It's really the whole point of MCRT is to help people at the point of the behavioral crisis rather than take them to any sort of higher level of care like the jail. Um, we certainly want to be uh, uh, culturally, culturally responsive, and uh, Michelle already mentioned the timeframes that we're aiming for to respond to a crisis. Next slide. So service locations can really be all over, and we get calls from, from all of these places. So um, housing programs, work, workplaces in the community, libraries, parks, and schools. Um, there are some uh, facilities where we would not necessarily respond, although that doesn't mean that we wouldn't collaborate. And an example of that is like an, an emergency room or a psychiatric inpatient facility, where the assumption is that that crisis might be uh, manageable for the folks on site. But that being said, we're, we're always uh, up for collaboration. Next slide. I'll toss it back to Michelle. Yeah, thanks, Emily. Um, so, I, you know, the expansion of mobile crisis is, um, you know, in my view, it's a step in the direction of what I hear community members asking for, which is to have behavioral health care providers responding to behavioral health crises. Um, we, this is a step in that direction, but I think we're many years away from having the level of resource available that we would truly need to respond in the way that the community and law enforcement um, would like to see. When I talk to um, law enforcement officers, they, they want to see us responding to these non-public safety, you know, non-dangerous calls. Um, they want to be available for that type of work. Um, I think until uh, mobile crisis um, teams exist at similar levels of other first, first responders, at similar levels um, to like paramedics and medical response. So that would mean we would be stationed throughout the community with multiple teams on and available to go out. 
Um, we're not going to quite meet that community need, I, and so we're, we're quite a ways away from that, I think, but I think there's recognition now that that's what the community's asking for and that's the best practice, so we're, we're moving in that direction. Um, but it's gonna be some time now. You know, with this expansion, it makes me nervous sometimes that people might feel that, you know, we, we are now going to be available in all places all the time, and we're still quite a ways away from that. I hope we get there someday. Next slide. I just want to take this opportunity to thank the Mobile Crisis team members. I want to thank Kellyanne Martinez and Megan Hinshaw, the supervisors. They've been working so hard um, in getting us to this point, and also Emily Mann, thank you. Um, these are folks that are out in the community uh, working on site um, every day to uh, serve our most vulnerable in the community. So I just want to thank them. Thank you. Terrific. Thank you. I'm going to bring it to the board for questions. Supervisor Sackett. I have a couple of different questions. Thank you, Michelle and Emily, for bringing this forward. I think it's very important and something that's asked about. Um, so if the, my first question is, we also have in San Rafael the SAFE team, and how is that coordination working? Is there overlap? Can you speak to that, Tom? Yeah, um, it's been great. As soon as they... Um, uh, got online, we met with them, um, with their supervisor, and talked about our collaboration. Um, we've co-responded with them. Um, we've, you know, we collaborate with them regularly. Uh, so I, th I think that's been really good. There's, there's sort of, um, if you had a, a Venn diagram, they go on some calls that we wouldn't go on, um, some quality of life type calls that aren't about someone necessarily being in behavioral health crisis. Um, and then um, we can do some things that they currently can't do, such as if someone is gravely disabled or a danger to self or others, being able to place them on a hold um, ourselves and transport them to the crisis unit without the assistance of law enforcement. Um, but there's a lot of overlap in the middle of those, of those two um, differences, and so we collaborate with them regularly. And does that mean that you, so if you get a phone call for somebody that could be addressed by either the SAFE team or a mobile crisis and they're in San Rafael, how do you handle that situation? Is there a triage or? Um, generally speaking, if we're available to handle the call and, and it falls within our type of response, then you know, we would handle that. If it's something that, if we're unavailable and we think the SAFE team could handle it, um, we would be in touch with them about that and I think that's true vice versa. Um, and, and so we, we do that regular kind of collaboration. We don't have any certain types of protocol around transferring calls, certain types of calls, um, but we would do that if it, if it made sense. So are those phone calls made by staff or the, you call it? Okay. Yeah, we would, we would figure out what, what the need was and, and if they were able to work, you know, address the situation, we would work with them. Would you say that's? Okay, and then I have some questions about two different sets of population. So 10% of the folks you're responding to are over 65. Um, so my question here is, do you feel like you have the tools and the team is supported with the training for crises that may be more um, dementia or related versus what we oftentimes think of as a mental health crisis? Or do you feel that our older adults um, ha are, that you all and the safety, or and the mobile crisis team have those tools at hand and training? Um, part of this expansion involved uh, a lot of training from um, DHCS on a variety of special populations. Um, and, and so 
I, I think from a crisis assessment and, and crisis planning perspective, we have those tools. I think those cases are some of the most challenging that we see um, because we can't take someone to the crisis unit if it's due to um, something like dementia. Um, we see there's, there's, it's, they're very, very challenging. I don't think we have all the tools that we need um, to respond if there's a crisis that's related to dementia. Um, I see the same thing with our jail mental health team. Um, when we have those cases in the jail, trying to figure out where someone might need to go um, when the resources that they have available aren't meeting their needs. Uh, so I, I, don't say, I don't think we have all the, the tools we have, but I think we do the best with what's available and are able to kind of assess and triage as much as, as we have, if that answers it. And I appreciate that, and I think sometimes it may come up sort of before a mobile crisis, but can get to, I, you know, I know our office gets phone calls of sort of folks who are maybe living on their own without family around, kind of some behavior that may start to raise suspicion, and then there's a crisis of whatever way, shape, or form. And so I'm always thinking about, like, what can we do before it gets to that point, which isn't quite in this wheelhouse, but um, just want to flag that. And then another population, when you talk about the schools and you specifically talk about communicating with SROs, we don't have as many of those as we used to. And I think we're also, Supervisor Rodoni and I were at a community schools event at an elementary school on Friday and, and them talking about sort of the increase in the amount of not only mental health issues for young kids, but tangential family members that, you know, kind of walk into the school setting as a place. And so I'm, I'm wondering, are you also communicating with the wellness teams um, and really thinking about not only the high schools that may have an SRO, but really looking back and, and is there, are you seeing other family members that you're having to address in this, in the school situation? Yeah, um, a couple of things there, but I just want to briefly say on your previous question that if the person were um, vulnerable, we would collaborate with Adult Protective Services, and we often do in those kinds of cases, um, so I just thought of that after. Um, in terms of the youth and school team, that team is currently grant-funded, and as I think you guys know, we have an incredible behavioral health um, uh, clinician workforce shortage in the country, and in the state, and in Marin County, it's very difficult to recruit. Um, and those grant-funded positions are not necessarily permanent, and, and so that team has been really difficult to build. Um, I believe we have one of those positions filled um, presently, but the other one continues to be vacant. That said, we do collaborate with the wellness um, uh, teams at the school. We have had meetings with them to talk about uh, response protocols, when to bring us in. I mean, we'd love to be available every time um, that, that we're needed, um, but that's unfortunately not currently something um, that we can always do. Um, kind of goes back to my earlier point, right? But we are working with the um, with the wellness team and um, coordinating with the schools, and they I would hope they all know about us and know how to access and utilize our services. I would just say I think that they have a lot of turnover too, mm -hmm. and so it can't be sort of a one and done mm -hmm. um, education piece. I mean, I was surprised just in those conversations. Many of the folks didn't know about the access line, mm. and I'm sure somebody had told somebody at some point in time, right. but it needs to be sort of a continual, whether it's annual or semester-wise, of just saying, here are the resources, because it seemed like there was a real unawareness of the amount of county support services, and then one wellness director in, a, in an elementary school, like, you know, trying to find housing 
dealing with immigration, food insecurity, and mental health, like, and we're saying there's tools out there. So anything we can do to help and to just facilitate that, at least sharing the information and the resources that we have available. So yeah, thanks. that's really important. Thank you. And we'll, um, we'll get in touch with our, our contacts and make sure that we're providing them the information that they need. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much for this update and this expansion. This is uh, exciting to see this. Uh, I'm curious, where does, uh, or how does the, the average individual or loved one, family member, know, know who to call, when to call? Um, where, where are they finding that information? Um, it's on our website, on the um, BHRS website. Um, I think, though, in this, it, uh, the first thing I would say, it, because the easiest thing to remember is to call 988. Um, and 988, we collaborate with them and meet with them regularly, and they, you know, know about our resource and how to how to uh, transfer a situation to us when needed. Um, so that's the first thing that I would say is just I'm really wanting to get those three numbers, you know, out in the community and in everybody's mind as the number that you can call if you're um, in behavioral health crisis and needing to talk to someone. Um, but our we do have our own dedicated mobile crisis um, number uh, that people can call. Gotcha. But long-term, the goal is to get everybody to call that number, and then they get routed from there, or would you prefer? I, I wonder, I'm looking at the page now, certainly with the, the new website changes that are coming up, I see a real opportunity to have more of an, an interactive page that directs people to the right resources that, that they need, uh, and maybe even some just, just general work around kind of search engine optimization. People probably are not searching for mobile crisis response team, um, but try to determine what are they searching for, doing some, you know, just doing some Google searches on our own and seeing where does the page rank so that people that need these services are able to find them and hopefully call the right number first instead of, you know, second or third number. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. It's something I've wondered about if, if, if someday 988 will be the, that sort of one intake place um, for these kinds of issues, it looks that way to me that we might someday get there in a sim and, and be a similar model to sort of 911 where the person would call 988 and then that dispatcher would, you know, be aware of the various resources are, that are available and could take the information and route them correctly. Um, so I imagine that that's where we'll get someday. We don't currently have that plan or protocol in place. Um, we are required to have our own dedicated um, uh, phone number, and so we will, you know, maintain that and continue to accept calls directly from the community. Great, great. Yeah, something to think of when the when the website gets redesigned too. It could be a little more user friendly. So thank you for all your great work on this. Yeah, thank you for the update. Exciting, and thanks for the recognition of the rural response. I think. Um, what I've heard in the past is that most of those have been deferred to the sheriff just because you've been unable to get there. Is this expansion going to maybe improve that? And is that a goal, a two-hour? I know you've got a lot of commitments, but is that sort of a goal of yours to be able to respond in two hours? Absolutely, yes. Um, and some of these calls, as you can imagine, there's something happening right now. Um, and it sort of goes back to my earlier comment that to meet this need, we would really need to be stationed throughout the community. Um, so yeah, it's our it's our goal and expectation that we can respond in two hours um, to those calls, and so that's what we're shooting for. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm going to open it up to public comment then now um, online, please, Al. Senator Rodoni, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay, in the chamber. Yes, Raleigh. Raleigh Katzman, Association of Public Employees. 
we represent all the workers in this program rather than the supervisors and been big supporters of it from the get-go. Uh, your speakers did talk about the expansion of the program and there are various collective bargaining issues related to that. We had some initial meetings months and months and months ago. Uh, I think I probably have an email in my office when I get in maybe scheduling another meeting, but we've had a long gap. Uh, things like working weekends, things like after hours and how that will be staffed are all matters that are subject to bargaining. And I can't emphasize that enough. I know there's been shortages in labor relations staff and H&HS HR staff. I know there are gaps that happen, but we can't just view the collective bargaining as a sort of an aside and we go on and take care of the program. We need to address these things in the manner that the law anticipates, and that means bargaining with us on these subjects. Thank you. Bring it back to staff or Matthew for any further comments. No? Okay. And back to the board for final comments. There's no action on this. This is informational. I'm happy to move this item and just I don't think we need a vote because vote it's um, presentation Brian? information. Okay. Just want to thank you both, but also the staff that work on this. It's hard work and appreciate all that they do. Thank you to everyone. All right. We're going to recess, recess as Marin County Board of Supervisors and convene as the Marin County Open Space District Board of Directors. Our first item today is the organization of the Good afternoon, we're going to convene in open session again. Uh, the board held closed session items described on the agenda and there was no action taken. So we're going to move to item eight, which is a presentation from the Office of Equity regarding the County Race Equity Action Plan Implementation. I'll turn it now over to Jamila. Okay, thank you so much. Can you all hear us okay? Yeah, okay. Good afternoon to the board, to community members joining us here in the chambers, and to those joining us online. My name is Jamila Jordan and I'm the county's equity director. It's wonderful to be here with you all today. We wanna thank you for the time on today's agenda to share the implementation approach and strategy for the county's race equity action plan, also known lovingly as REAP. I'm joined here today by several members of our implementation team and I'm gonna ask them to briefly introduce themselves. I'm gonna pass it to Good afternoon, Lucy Hollingsworth. It is good to be here again before you all uh, from Legal Aid of Marin. From the, um, I've been part of the housing REAP team. Good afternoon. My name is Heather Bettini. I'm the Assistant Vice President of Programs at Community Action Marin. It's a pleasure to be here and to see this work uh, move forward with your blessing. Thank you. Good afternoon. I'm Stormy Miller-Sabia. I am a Director of Student Services uh, with working closely with Student Accessibility and Psychological Services at College of Marin. And I've had the pleasure of serving on the REAP implementation team, specifically focusing on the area around mental health. Uh, simultaneously, I serve as the Chair of the Behavioral Health Board for Marin County. 
So really excited to be here with our colleagues and members of the team. Let's go to the next slide, please. All right, so building a racially equitable community is a top priority for your board. In 2022, you all adopted the community-centered race equity action plan, which included specific recommendations on how to advance racial equity in the areas of housing, economic opportunity, and mental health. This wasn't just a plan that was intended to sit on the shelf, but instead you allocated resources and real dollars to support implementation. You all ask that we return to your board with specific strategies and work plans to guide this $1.7 million allocation. We in the Office of Equity firmly believe in the adage, nothing about us without us. So we gathered here, we convened an implementation team made up of community members, local jurisdictions, and county departments to co-lead this work with us. What we have before you today, everyone, is the resulting implementation strategy a clear vision and an integrated approach to addressing racial equity gaps. Next slide, please. Disparities are greatest when measured by race here in Marin County. Almost every indicator of well-being, such as maternal child health, income, and even life expectancy, for example, show troubling disparities by race. These inequities are deep and pervasive. The COVID-19 pandemic also exacerbated these existing racial disparities and amplified many of the barriers and challenges faced by our low-income communities and our communities of color here. Next slide, please. It's so easy for us to throw around numbers and data points about these disparities, but it's so important for us to remember that these are real people, children, seniors, brothers, sisters, grandparents, neighbors, who are living this experience. We must center their voices, their perspectives, and their insights as they guide us, as they lead us in this work. Next slide. What we know to be true is that social and racial inequities are not random, they're not natural, and they're certainly not inevitable. It's possible and only possible for us to close these equity gaps by using strategies determined through an intentional focus on race. We have to call it out explicitly. We have to name it or it'll go unaddressed. We know that when we develop tools and strategies to dismantle racism, that we can use those same tools and those same frameworks to tackle other areas of inequities, like ageism, like sexism, and ableism. Next slide. With all of this in mind, we convened a dynamic collaborative of community members, organizations such as Legal Aid, Community Action Marin, ISOGI, the Workforce Alliance of the North Bay, and government staff from Corte Madera, San Rafael, Novato, and the county's very own departments like CDA and HHS, because we know it takes a village to do this work. And we asked them to develop work plans for implementing priority actions, partners who could lead and support the work with us, to think through funding sources in addition to that $1.7 million allocation. The group also is very intentional about measuring results. So we used a SMART framework to identify performance measures, to think through how to make these actions feasible, measurable, and time-bound. Next slide. 
In an effort not to recreate the wheel, one of the first things that the implementation team did was identify existing efforts and relevant work of our partners that really align with the goals of our REIT plan across our three areas. What you see on this slide here, everyone, are a number of existing plans looking at suicide prevention, the racism as a public health crisis resolution, age forward Marin, looking at our own REAP plan, for example. And all of this really helped to lay the foundation for what we came up with as a team. We engaged those partners and we explored connection points. Next slide. With the help of our facilitator, Nicole Anderson and Associates, the team unpacked some of the root causes of these inequities, rather than just look at the symptoms. We did deep dives into how we could transform the systems and structures that hold these inequities in place. Looking at policies and resource flows, power dynamics, and really mental models that we need to shift in order to change the system. Next slide. So with that, everyone, we're excited to share what emerged from our collaboration. Each of our groups, economic opportunity, mental health, and housing, are here today to present to you these recommendations. And they had about $566,000 to support implementation of their priority action items. And so with that, everyone, I'm gonna turn it over to Heather Bettini of CUNY Action Marin to lead us off with the economic opportunity recommendations. Heather. Thank you, Jamila. Before I get into the recommendations, I'd like to provide a little context around our thinking for these priorities. Um, so our economic opportunity strategy is a vehicle to create the necessary conditions for BIPOC and low-income community members to achieve financial prosperity and reach their full potential. And now to demonstrate the need, I'm going to share a couple of data points with you. And you may be familiar with them. 40% of Marin households make less than the county living wage as calculated by the MIT living wage calculator. And just to give an example of what that looks like, a family of three with two adults and one child where one adult is working would need to earn $102,000 or 49 uh, annually or $49.24 an hour to make ends meet. Uh, the top three job postings in Marin County between September 2022 and December 2023 were registered nurses, home health care aides, and retail salespeople. The latter two positions are some of the lowest paid occupations and don't pay anywhere near $49 an hour. I IHSS workers in Marin starting this February will make $18 an hour. Uh, and then if we disaggregate by race, we really see the inequities. In 2022, the median household income for all families in Marin was $131,000, not too bad. However, the median income for Hispanic Latino households was 82,000, and for black African American households was only 68,000, which is 48% less. So what is holding the racial equity gap in place? A narrative that being poor is a chronic condition that cannot be changed. But we know that poverty is an outcome of policy decisions and systems that we often take for granted, like how people access healthcare, our tax policies, and the cost of living versus the wages. Also, lack of affordable childcare prevents families from obtaining education and work experience that could lead to upward mobility. 
We live in a culture entrenched in white supremacy and our implicit biases manifest in our institutions and our systems, our education systems, political systems, penal systems. So what can we do? Well, we can change the narrative about poverty and its root causes. We can build power with people and you'll see examples of this woven throughout our strategies in the REAP plan. We can advocate for policy and systems change and we can offer high quality services to those who are most impacted. All right, so with that, please, uh, next slide. Oh, we're, oh, we've moved quite a bit. Let's go back. Thank you. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we're way ahead. Back please. All right, so our first strategy, as you can see, is to implement an $18 minimum wage starting out with a graduated increase to a wage that mirrors that uh, living wage calculator I mentioned earlier by 2035. So what we would need to do is draft our proposal, finalize the minimum wage ordinance, conduct outreach to our business community and municipalities to make sure that they're engaged, understand, and can support one another with moving forward, um, and then adopt our ordinance effective January 2025. 2025, January 2025 is the goal. Um, there's no actual allocation in the budget for this. This is a policy action. Next slide, please. So I'll move on to the second goal. We'd like to establish a countywide support system for low-income micro-businesses and develop community marketplaces here at the Marin Civic Center and other locations throughout the community. So what would this look like? We would have vendors who represent the beautiful diversity of Marin County in this building selling their food products and helping us to desegregate, bringing us together around something that nourishes us, food. Um, and so we need to create the conditions necessary for them to be able to thrive and to feel welcome in, that, in this climate. Um, so we would need to identify some potential sites. And it's not just the Civic Center. We need to be strategic and think about where else people can get to, feel comfortable getting to, and would be able to access you know, the market of people who would buy their, their goods and, and food. Um, so there's, again, no allocation for the identifying of the sites. But this next piece, we need to develop a request for proposals for an organization that would help to create and host a new position. For now, we're calling it Micro Enterprise Support Coordinator. And this person needs to have trusting relationships within the community and the agency so that we can build strategic partnerships. We can understand what's happening on the ground, and that gets reflected in the work plan. Uh, and they will help these micro-businesses develop their businesses, get licenses, permits, and navigate systems so that they can be successful. Um, and for this, uh, we're asking for $250,000 for a two-year fixed-term uh, position hosted within an agency uh, that will be a competitive process. All right, and next slide, please. Okay, as part of the same strategy, we'll then develop our Civic Center site um, and other sites around the county uh, that will attract and support low-income micro-businesses, and very important, with low or no-cost options. We'd like this to include a commissary kitchen that they can actually use a facility to prepare their foods. There should be education and training around that as well, um, you know, safe handling of food and sanitation, knife skills, things like that for people who may not already have that but are able to cook and are excited about entering that space. 
And we also want to think about other types of micro-businesses. It may not be people are all interested in food, but they have other things that they want to prepare and sell um, and are proud of. So we want to support that. And for this action, we're asking for $316,000. Um, and then finally, we'll continue to develop the countywide supports uh, for the, our micro-food entrepreneurs. We want to make sure um, that you know, they are able to launch and expand their businesses. And the outcomes that we really want to see are sales permits and business licenses, income generation, of course, and a decrease in environmental health citations, which a lot of our BIPOC vendors now who may not have a license or permit are, are experiencing. Um, and so continued use of those $250,000 for that key position to support the work. So that is uh, the conclusion of our economic opportunity area and strategies. And I'm going to hand it over to Lucy to talk to you now about housing. Thank you. Hey, it's me talking about housing again. <laughs> but um, I hope I can do my group justice. I learned a lot from them. Um, and so, of course, you all are hearing about housing from every direction, whether it's tenants, landlords, CBOs, uh, developers, schools, um, I could go on. So it's no surprise that the planning committee identified housing as a top priority. Um, so our group to determine racial equity gaps in housing, we looked at the, the quantitative and qualitative data that we have. Um, Jamila showed just some of that earlier in her presentation. But we also took note of what data is missing. Um, we know the areas in Marin that have had the highest rates of rent increases, which are predominantly in low-income communities, disproportionately represented by communities of color. We know that past policies have had a disparate and negative impact on generational wealth and home ownership. We know that our county gets wealthier and whiter, seemingly wealthier and whiter every year. Yet another report came out recently, this time from the Fair Housing Advocates of Northern California. The evidence showed that over 50% of landlords discriminated on potential renters because of their race. We have no more excuses. Housing stability must be a priority to close the racial equity gap. Our team believes the following goals will work to close this gap and get us the data needed to guide lasting changes in the area of housing. And I'll quickly go over our root cause analysis. Um, you know, we first examined the root causes and how we got here and why um, with what we know. And why with what we know have we not implemented changes in policies and programs to overcome the racial equity gap. Uh, our team really wanted to focus on the entire spectrum of the housing issue, all the way from homelessness to home ownership. Very ambitious, I know, but I think we did it. <laughs> At risk of oversimplifying the issue, if you pay too much towards rent, you can't save for a house. If every year your rent goes up 10%, it cuts into your budget for food, for gas, for medicine, until eventually your budget breaks and you face displacement, adding to the homeless population or migrating out of the county. This is leading to even further gentrification and loss of diversity in Marin County. So for our first goal, um, we want to establish anti-displacement policies and programs to increase housing stability and affordability. First, we've allocated $50,000 to 
operate, bolster uh, the countywide rent registry um, that's currently led by the Community Development Agency um, and hope to bring in more stakeholders for that, for to support that, uh, really the administrative part of housing. Um, that would include Marin cities and towns, landlords, the Bay Area Financing Authority. Um, a registry provides a critical role in collecting data that can guide future housing policy. We also allocated $200,000 to go towards rent stabilization and increased tenant protections uh, to give tenants certainty of future rent increases and stabilize those housing costs until we can resolve the building of more units issue. Um, we do want to stress, speaking of building more affordable housing, um, we want to stress that LIHTC properties must be included in this discussion with tenant protections. Um, the LIHTC program is fantastic and it builds most of our affordable housing, uh, but it is a tax program, a treasury program, and the reality is that you are poor enough to get in, you are too poor to stay. And they can be included in local solutions when addressing displacement. Uh, we have allocated also 266,000 of our budget for a countywide land trust to help provide low-income communities of color more affordable housing options, both to rent and to own. This would enhance homeowner outreach and funding to identify and purchase properties for future affordable housing sites. As for stakeholders, you know, all of, all of these goals we think would, would, you know, we want to build a Marin housing collaborative um, and that would include stakeholders from all areas that touch housing, um, funders, financers, developers, tenant advocates, uh, landlords, agencies, uh, government agencies. Um, we, we really, th there's so much that we have to learn from each other. And I think that, we all think that getting everybody in the same room together and working on these issues together and hearing what the barriers are from each representative uh, is critical in, in enacting policies, healthy policies for our community. Performance measures will be a decrease in the number of tenants who are rent burdened. That could be a simple one. And a decre decrease in homelessness and the migration of communities of color that are leaving, having to leave Marin. Uh, next slide, please. Oh, let's get to goal two. Sorry, there we go. <laughs> Uh, goal two uh, for our group was expand pathways to home ownership through financial and technical assistance for marginalized communities of color. Uh, communities of color have been systematically shut out of home ownership as evidenced by today's home ownership rates. Uh, we have allocated $50,000 to engage with financial institutions, community foundations, and community-based organizations to provide both financial and technical assistance in the home buying process. While we do have the below market rate housing program, we do have, for example, Community Action Marin that provides uh, financial education. We do want to see that expanded. Um, 
we also want to address generational wealth in this program, which the below market rate uh, program does not do. And when will we know when this program starts to work? When we start seeing at least a 15% increase in home ownership by individuals and families of color in Marin. Uh, in conclusion, I just want to take a quick opportunity to thank Jamila and her team and my REAP team and the other REAP teams. I learned so much um, and the Board of Supervisors for giving us this opportunity um, to learn from each other and hopefully change the trajectory uh, for, for Marin's families of color. Uh, and so now it will pass it on to Stormy to present on, uh, present on behalf of the mental health team. Thank you. Off again. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Light indicates such. Um, you know, I just want to. I was thinking about Jamila's word words in terms of dynamic collaborative, and I just uh, want to echo this, those sentiments because being with this dynamic group, community leaders that are heavily engaged and intentional in the approach, uh, really just made the work all the more enjoyable and important. Um, and and so with that, you know, I just want to acknowledge the work of the racial equity um, action uh, planning team and some of the initial work that was carved out in the 2022 plan. Um, that really did give us the momentum uh, towards uh, implementation. Some of the things that came out of specifically I'm focusing on the mental health area, uh, but, but some of the things that came out in terms of what racial equity issues in Marin County are important to you as it relates to mental health uh, spoke to the pandemic and social iso isolation exacerbating mental health issues. There was reference to substance use issues and treatment options within the county. Uh, food and housing insecurity, which has direct implications for an individual's mental health experience. And there was uh, just illuminating the prioritization of culturally relevant, accessible, and affordable mental health services and resources. That 2022 plan uh, to not reinvent the will, uh, the goals that were indicated as it relates to mental health, referenced creating and sustaining uh, safe spaces that encourage mental health and traditionally marginalized racial, ethnic, and social groups. Uh, increasing access to culturally diverse and relevant mental health resources to traditionally marginalized racial, ethnic, and social groups, um, and increasing medical wellness access within traditionally marginalized racial, ethnic, and social groups that are um, housing insecure and are homeless. Um, so our work really picked up with, you know, just um, understanding that uh, understanding that document, understanding the other resources that have been created within the community and statewide and beyond, um, and really an, uh, analyzing what exists within the county, where the need is, who can support us in collectively engaging in this work, uh, because we know that it's, uh, it really is collective work uh, to shepherd this forward, and, and how would we allocate resources if given uh, to, specifically to these efforts. As part of our engagement in the root cause analysis, uh, these are just some of the items that uh, came up to name a few, and I'm still not at the slides yet, but just wanted to provide some context here. Uh, so in the root cause analysis and uh, in thinking about those conversations and reflecting positively back and some of the folks that are in this space that were, that were joined in that conversation, we talked and acknowledged the lack of providers that are representative of the populations that, that are served. We talked about the need for 2,700 mental health professionals in Marin, uh, within the next 10 years. We talked about stigma 
um, and, and particularly thinking about stigma within communities of color around mental health. We talked about barriers to getting the treatment, and once you are in treatment, how effective is it depending on uh, the, the types of services that you're receiving, um, and, and is it culturally relevant? Uh, we talked about implicit bias, uh, ultimately impacting service delivery and the quality of care. Uh, so with that, uh, after all, uh, many rich uh, conversations and uh, an, an assessment of what currently exists but where the need is, uh, we came up with the overarching goal, um, building upon the work that was already done, honoring the work that was already done around expanding access to mental health services in communities of color here in Marin County. So one of the things that, you know, going back to the 2,700 positions within the next 10 years, uh, I think we can, uh, we, we reflected on the fact, going back to the providers and representation within the workforce, uh, therapists of color. Um, so we want to support licensure for therapists of color uh, through tuition scholarships for bilingual and bicultural uh, students. So we were thinking about uh, the, on, uh, the cost for licensure, tuition, internship stipends, the ongoing costs associated uh, with renewing license, even thinking about the CEUs associated with licensure and the costs associated with getting those CEUs. So we, alloc we allocated 310,000, and I believe we were looking at 25 to 30 um, uh, individuals that would be able to tap into those resources uh, to support licensure and ongoing professionalism in that area. Uh, underneath the uh, goal one, we talked about co-designing and co-funding the College of Marin Equity and Mental Health Symposium. The symposium is in its uh, second year uh, with plans to continue, and there was reference in the initial plan to um, developing a mental health summit. And the decision was, let's not recreate, let's co-create and continue to support what and leverage what currently exists and add resources to that and think about in that particular work in equity and mental health symposium where are there are individuals that are not rep represented in this space so we were really trying to emphasize we need to have youth at the table um, in a specific as a specific area we also talked about the community is heavily engaged but who in the community is not at the table? And so how can we do more outreach and ensuring their voices are at the table? But this is an opportunity for collect, collective care, communal care, and we want to support the good work that's currently happening with these resources. So uh, we allocated, I believe, 25,000 in the uh, first year and 25,000 in the second year, knowing that this is um, ongoing work and, um, and, and recognizing that there may be other potential funders and, and supporters uh, as part of this work. Next slide. Uh, still speaking around expanding access to mental health services in communities of color. Um, we talked about and capacity building institute summit. Uh, I, I think uh, many conversations around what's the most appropriate name for this. Ultimately what it means is bringing together uh, individuals within hospitals, community clinics, thought partners as it relates to behavioral health, mental health access and talking about where the gaps are, where the needs are and how we can come together. Uh, there's a lot of siloed operations and also um, constraints within funding, uh, but, but that doesn't stop us from having the conversation together around we recognize that we're not serving our entire community well. With respect to communities of color, we know that there's disparate impact, so how can we do better? Um, uh, busting silos and just saying we just want to come together and think about um, areas of need. 
So we allocated uh, 30,000 in this particular area. And um, largely what we're thinking here is in order to have these kind of conversations and facilitate these types of discussions and for the individuals who are in the space to be able to actively engage and not hold the facilitator hat and be in there, you may need a consultant or someone with the expertise in facilitating these hefty conversations. Uh, so, so some of the funds would be used uh, for that purpose as well. And then the last area under this overarching goal of expanding access to mental health services is the piloting of a healing arts program. And here we're recognizing that um, when you're being culturally responsive, you need to think about the ways in which um, alternative approaches to uh, mental health, behavioral health care and we recognize that healing arts can have a tremendous impact. Uh, and we've had, we had wonderful discussions around what, what type of arts and what might this look like and who in the community is already providing this and where are they providing it. And so we're specifically looking at arts program within um, Marin City, the Canal area, West Marin, Novato, um, to address mental health needs. Uh, and we allocated, I'm sorry, the, um, what was the allocation to, thank you get talking and then and then I realized the captioning that's so important I, I couldn't see that piece so uh, these were the areas in terms of the 566,000 and allocating directly um, to these uh, overarching uh, the overarching goal and the action items however there are um, several other um, specific action items that we recognize may already be in place we're thinking about the work of um, behavioral health and recovery services we're thinking about the work of community-based organizations and so um, we want to lift up that work we want to support that work there may be other funding streams um, that uh, we, that we can tap into or resources already allocated as we know um, but specifically um, we're, we're no, none of the 1.7 million the 566,000 was attached around community engagement and communities of color to assess mental health needs and ampl amplify promising strategies raising awareness around mobile wellness support in communities such as Marin City, West Marin, Canal, and Novato, um, and hiring and training of culturally responsive trauma-informed peer support specialists who are members of their communities. And so we're lifting that up, we're acknowledging the work that's being done, we're wanting to support it and keep it moving forward and build that momentum. So uh, with that, I'll, I'll go ahead and turn it back over to uh, Jamila. And once again, it was just a real honor to be in this community, in this space, um, with the folks that are in this room and not in this room or online. Um, I, I think that it's an immense work that's really going to shift and transform Marin County. Thank you. So much, Dormy. We can go to the next slide, please. And then you can go one more after that. There we go. One more after this, please. There we go. Thank you. So I'd love for us to take a collective breath and really take this moment in. This is the culmination of many long days, long nights, strategy sessions, honest conversations, and a real acknowledgement of both our history here in this county, our present day, and where we want to go together. We acknowledge that this is not the end. This is really just the beginning. So today we come before the board and ask you to accept our report. And from there, county staff will co-lead the implementation of these priority actions that my colleagues here have so eloquently described to you. And then we'll return to your board with more detail around the specific allocations and the timing of those requests. From there, we'll start to outreach to our key partners, engage them, 
Uh, we really want to bring them along in the process and engage all of the bright minds, wisdom, and expertise to help us be successful. Another really important piece of our next steps is focused on accountability. And so developing accountability mechanisms is, is something that's so critical to the success of our implementation process. So we plan to co-design a community dashboard with data metrics that really center racial equity and support improved policies and service delivery. We're working right now as we speak with our colleagues in IST, uh, our team members in the Office of the County Executive, and many of our departments as well to think through the development of this dashboard. And ultimately, we'll be asking ourselves the question of how can we tell if our communities are better off as a result? How do we know if our lower income community members, our communities of color, our marginalized groups here in Marin County, are they better off as a result? And so we'll continue to ask ourselves that and reflect on that as we design this dashboard and as we move through our implementation process. It's an exciting opportunity to really harness the power of data and advance racial justice across our county systems. In terms of communicating the results, we wanna be sure to conduct annual reviews of our implementation progress. And at a higher level, we also wanna reevaluate not only the actions, but the goals in our race equity action plan every three years or so, because we know that things change Communities shift, demographics change, needs and priorities change, and we want to make sure that we are keeping pace with that and if not being even more proactive. And lastly, I would share that we want to provide regular updates to your board and most importantly to the community uh, in a way that's culturally responsive and receptive to all of the great feedback and input that they've given us. So with that, everybody, this brings us to a close. Uh, I just want to take a moment again to express my sincere and heartfelt appreciation to all the members of our implementation team. Um, it's been a long time coming, and I really appreciate not only their time, but their experience, their insights throughout the process, their truth-telling, and their bold vision for how we can thrive here together. We're committed to working together in solidarity. So more to come. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jamila. So we're gonna bring it back to the board for questions. And I'm looking at my colleagues and staff, Supervisor Moulton Peters and I had the great pleasure of working as the board subcommittee with Jamila and her team and Matthew. And I can say for both of us, I think we're really pleased the way this has gone and where we're at today. But questions first. Uh, Stephanie, anything? No questions, comments for later. Okay, Mary? So this may go to Lucy um, on the housing goals regarding the allocation for $200,000 for rent stabilization. Can you tell me what that means, what the goal is, and where that funding would go to? Part of a rent stabilization program, it, there's a big administrative piece. Um, so for example, in order to have a, a rent stabilization program, you need a petition process, um, some way for landlords to request to raise rent beyond the cap, and a way for tenants to also request that rent is lowered, um, for example, habitability reasons, um, and that costs money. Um, we are looking to uh, 
BAFA, Bayer Housing Finance Authority, um, if that passes, there a small percentage of, of those funds will be able to uh, help uh, bolster the, those administrative arms of, of a rent stabilization program. And would that be for unincorporated county or is the thought that that would bring in the cities and towns? Ideally, it would be countywide that, that um, it makes no, it, it, it doesn't really make fiscal or logical sense for all the cities and towns to run a separate petition process, to have a separate rent board. Um, it's already complicated enough with a patchwork of, of ordinances and, and programs. Um, so ideally, it would make the most sense to have a countywide, um, for example, rent board, petition process, hearing examiner, um, and rent registry uh, that all the cities and towns could also uh, take advantage of. Thank you. Supervisor Lucan or Rex? Sure, I just had, just had two. Um, just as a follow-up on the countywide rent registry, I know you have a lot of city partners that were a part of this. Um, how has the collaboration been with them early on with that? I saw Novato, San Rafael, Mill Valley, others. Is there is there interest in that, or is it just very preliminary conversations? Maybe just an update on that. There is definitely interest in it for the, the towns that have already passed ordinances. So, for example, Fairfax. That um, The reality is, though, that um, they don't have the money and the resources to have their own rent registry. Um, and so definitely discussions are going on as to how they can use the countywide registry, be part of that, the countywide registry that's already implemented um, and is already, my understanding, set up for all the cities and towns to also use. Gotcha, I can I see that being maybe a good kind of first, first step in this work. and. Um, so I appreciate that. And then the other one on the accountability, the next steps, providing regular updates to the Board of Supervisors and community. Jamila, can you talk about me, kind of the cadence of that? Uh, again, I want to make sure I, I caught that. How, how often do you think we might, you might be coming back to the Board reporting on uh, implementation? Um, I know there's an annual review, but maybe just speak to that a little more. Absolutely. Thank you, Supervisor Lucan. So we recognize there are so many facets to this plan, to this implementation strategy, and so we anticipate coming back to your board quite frequently as each of these pieces are ready to share with you. We think that, um, you know, some of the first ones would likely be around each ordinance, so we plan to come back to your board pretty soon with that information. We're already working in partnership with a board subcommittee on that, so that'll likely be one of the first actions to really move towards a streamlined implementation. And so it'll really be as those are prepared that will come to you. I can't give you some specific kind of month-by-month -month timelines, but I do know that it'll be a regular cadence that we share with you all. The annual meetings, or excuse me, the annual progress check-ins will happen yearly, obviously, um, but we really want to make sure that we're prepared before we come back to your board with not only the actual action, but our partners are in place, our other funding is in place, and then the implementation metrics. So uh, the minimum wage ordinance will be the first one that we feel really confident about to do that with, and then we'll take a closer look in partnership with our departments on the other actions as well. Thank you. Thanks. Take it back to Ray. Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, 
I'm really glad we're at this point and, and really starting to get some meat on the bones, as it were. Um, I have a question. It's related to implementation, and, and I'm making the assumption um, uh, there, there's many different action items here, and they potentially involve, they do involve uh, different departments within the county and, and, and different partners um, externally as well. So, and I'm making the assumption also that it's not going to be a one-by-one one consecutive check off the box as we're going down these, that they're, they're going to each get, to some degree, legs of their own. Um, so I guess um, what, I'm, what I, I'm thinking that some of these may be co-led by county staff. Others may be contracts that go out and are executed by community partners. So I'm just... I'm wondering if you could just speak a little bit more about how this delegation is happening and, and um, you know, how, how quickly we'll sort of really get feet on the ground working on these items, even if it is just towards designing what that, what that program looks like. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to share. Thank you for the question, Supervisor Rice. Excited to share that a lot of this work is already happening. So we touched on, Heather did a great job of sharing the, uh, the micro business, the micro enterprise process. And so we're already working with CDA, the Community Development Agency, to identify priority sites and looking at the Civic Center cafeteria as our pilot site. What do we need to have that site be ready? And if not there, then what about some of our outside facilities, looking at the fairgrounds, for example? Some of that work has already happened, and we've already tapped into our departments, many of which are here in the room here. I'm excited to see Yuri Naha Reese and Dr. Todd Shermer of HHS, who have been our partners on not only the uh, mental health group, but also the housing work. Uh, and so also working very closely with Lily Thomas of CDA as well. So these are members of, uh, of our team who have been intimately and actively involved, and uh, the work is already happening for a lot of these specific actions. Okay, and then specifically, I wanted to drill down on one that I think is, they're all critically important, but um, uh, under goal one, the um, providing funding to support licensure for therapists of color through tuition scholarships filing. So I'm, I'm wondering where we are with that. I think that's critically important and obviously going to be an ongoing need. And I'm Stormy, I, I appreciate calling out that it's anticipated that that funding allocation will help get 25 to 30 new individuals. So could you speak a little bit more to where we are in that process and or what mechanism and tools are already in place to implement that? So one of the things that we're doing is we're looking at where this has been successful in other communities. So looking at the Sonoma County, for example, the Black Doctors Fund, I believe it's called, the Black Therapist Fund, looking at that as an example, looking at what they're doing in Los Angeles as other examples, and having some initial conversations with those entities to really guide us on what were the most promising practices, what were some of the pitfalls of their approach, and how can we learn from that as we design our process. And so that one is an example of stages of gathering information, doing our due diligence, our research, to get a sense of where we want to really focus our efforts for that one. So that's very much early in the, in the stages of development or implementation. So we look forward to coming back to you once we have the information. Okay, totally makes sense. And then um, lastly, um, many of these, most of them, though not all, um, speak to ongoing multi-year programs. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm relating that to the accountability piece with regards to a community dashboard, right? That 
seeks to measure, you know, are, are, is what we're doing making an impact? And, and from my perspective, I'm thinking it's going to be very, very hard to connect the dots uh, on some of these is to, to, because there's cumulative impact, positive or negative, d depending on, I mean, the policies we adopt here, either specific to REAP or even uh, funding allocations. There's other things happening. So I'm just wondering how, um, to what degree a dashboard can actually be that specific or is needing to take into account there's, there's multiple variables going into progress or stagnation or what have you. speaks to the complexities of how do we measure outcomes around some of this work? What are the equity impacts to the folks who have been um, harmed by our system? And how can we make things better as a result of our programs, policies, and practices? And to tell you the truth, it's hard to come up with a set of metrics and or a dashboard that really reflects how quickly or slowly change is happening. And so I will be candid and, and transparent in saying that's what we're thinking through now, right? And what we know is that this type of work is happening across all of our departments, and I think we're all grappling with that challenge, and we want to bring together these brilliant minds to help us think through that, and not only an approach for the REAP plan, but us collectively thinking about how all of our departments can start to standardize and institutionalize their approach to data collection and to analysis and evaluation of that data. And so I would you know, just share that we are working through that and we invite your thought partnership on how we can and should, if that is the preferred approach, go forward in a way that really helps us understand if what we're doing is working, right? And so beyond just anecdotal information, we recognize that qualitative info is very important, but we also want to look at some of the numbers as well. And so it's a, a tangled web to, to unweave there, uh, but we are committed to at least attempting and seeing where that leads us in terms of identifying next steps. Great. I appreciate that. And one last, last question. Um, how, and I may have missed this in the presentation, um, what is going to be the role going forward of community members in terms of being involved in any of these projects or the design implementation participation? Great question. Yeah, absolutely. Great question. I think it speaks to the heart of what we believe this work is really about, which is those most affected are leading us and co-designing with us. And so we want to, in the design of any work plan for our specific actions, to include and embed real tangible way for community members to be a part of and to co-design with us. And so um, that is something that is emerging as well. And I can tell you though, we're committed to that being a core tenant of implementation across all of these. Right? And so what that looks like will depend on the specific action um, as well as the partnership dynamic. Um, but that is a core tenant of any successful implementation in our eyes. Thank you. So my question is around budgeting. There's several actions that you don't have dollars associated with, but it looks like they may at some point need to have a budget. And then on, he's kind of, Supervisor Rice kind of mentioned the ongoing costs of programs. Some of these may not be finished by the time you've expend, expended those uh, monies. So I'm just wondering, will your group continue to work on this in terms of identifying budgets for action items that we haven't funded yet? And will you be looking at two or three years from now what the need might be to even continue some of those 
action items that uh, we started, but we may have expended the funding. Absolutely, great question, Supervisor Radoni. Um, you know, this is something that the group has thought long and hard about: is how do we how do we expand upon this 1.7 million dollars? How do we leverage that for additional funding? So many of our groups are already working on grant funding that's out there. Um, there are other funding sources where we've identified, for example, Marin Community Foundation as one potential partner for many of the actions in the plan, and so having some initial conversations with them about this as well, uh, talking with our county executive about how can we can build this in on an ongoing basis, uh, because that 1.7 can go fairly quickly when you think about what we're requesting here. So um, we're thinking through that, Supervisor Radoni, and plan to circle back with the group and likely with a request for some additional funding once we've uh, expended that $1.7 million. Thank you. Very good. Anything else by board members? Okay. We're going to go to the public now, and I see we have three public members online waiting to speak. Al, do you want to bring them in, please? Yes. First speaker is Eva. Please unmute. Eva, please unmute. Eva, I'll come back to you. The next speaker is Rebecca Helso. Please unmute. Hi, uh, Rebecca Helso. I'm a Tampini Land Trust. Thanks for that great presentation. I'm happy to be caught up now. Um, we promote uh, housing solutions that stay affordable for generations. I have a few comments and questions. Um, for example, um, how about data? I love that you're going to be collecting more data. I think it's really important to make good decisions using data. And for example, the below market rate units MHJ has under its purview, who's in them? Where are they and how are they allocated? Love to know that. Another is tax credits, of course, are crazy competitive now and the price uh, and weights for them add substantially to project costs. Happily, we now have a county CLT, and it would also be helpful if the existing CLTs could receive more funding and funding options. CLTs are considered the most effective and efficient in producing low and moderate income housing. Uh, let's talk about rent stabilization and stabilizing and rentals in, in general. Let's stop the bleeding first. ADU ordinances would provide incentives for those who put a deed restriction or put the land in a CLT um, would be really helpful in making turning them less into offices and more into homes that are affordable in perpetuity, become a, a community asset, um, or penalties for using them for something else, but some way to change the mix from what we see of them being given out like candy. Um, that's a stop the bleeding kind of thing. Uh, rental subsidies. Um, in Central and Southern Marin, um, we need them for both ADUs, but landlords who would like to rent their Thank, thank you, Rebecca. Time's up. House to work for. The next speaker is Eva. We're coming back to you. Please unmute. Okay, I'll come back to you. The next speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo. Please unmute. Uh, I have a question for Ms. Jordan, and that is on 
December the 12th uh, of 23, uh, you received a copy from Jeremy Portier, in which case he is uh, voicing his displeasure at being under, under the guidance of HR and in fact is proposing that he uh, be switched over to OOE under your guidance. Now, as you have been watching, the HRC has a very dysfunctional uh, spotted history of not following the Brown Act. So, and also their, even their connection to 1185 is questionable as to real representation for the, for the minorities. So if you would entertain taking them under your umbrella, what would you provide to make them more functional or since you, you have on your mission statement accountability and to, to date they are not accountable to anything at all. In fact, even their accomplishments are questionable. So, so the point is, can you actually have them transferred to your staffing, in which case you would be providing staffing for HRC meetings? So can you, are you prepared to take them on, or is that something that would be a problem with the executive officer. Thank you. We're coming back to Emma, please unmute. Hi, can you hear me okay? Can hear you, go ahead. Terrific, sorry, I apologize for the wind and you may hear a train noise coming up. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I just wanted to um, uh, point out that, that you, you just heard from, the first speaker was Rebecca Helzel. Um, and I think it, it raises a question of who actually, you know, Jamila had asked, like, or I think part of the presentation was how do we check in with the community? Well, Rebecca Helzel doesn't represent the communities that need racial equity. And it was interesting that she was focused on land trusts because pivoting to land trusts allows, you know, extremely, and I mean, the Helzel family is an extremely powerful, wealthy family. It allows families like that to sidestep the issue of reparations or restitution um, for the descendants of the black shipyard workers in Marin City. And I think that is really key uh, because you're being told that you're gonna be, uh, Jamela will be checking in with the community, but she's paid not to check in with the communities. Uh, we look at your commission structure and we see over and over again, the same people. Um, often people um, who enjoy qualified immunity because they're government officials, are government employees, and um, they, they represent, you know, they are chosen to represent the interests of the county. And, and you saw that particularly with the, um, with the Sheriff of Civilian Oversight Working Group, but you also saw it with the, uh, with Reef, um, and, and there was, considerable overlap on those two groups. And, um, you know, until you start a truly democratic process, I'm sorry, there's a lot of kids getting off the train, until you actually start some sort of democratic process for making these appointments, we're gonna have the same 
equity issues. And, and I guess Jamila will always have a job then. Thank you, Eva. Senator Rodani, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, now we'll open it up for comments in the chamber. Any public comments from anyone in the chamber? Come up to the podium if you like. Yes. <laughs> Anyone else, feel free to line up. We got two minutes? Yes, please. Okay, my name is Ricardo. I'm a director of ESOGI, and ESOGI gives a once a month meeting about all type of issues uh, <clears throat> over the uh, Zoom network. Everybody is invited, and, uh, you know, welcome, and Jamila has so thought thoughtfully gave uh, give us an update on the, uh, an extraordinary process they're going through with budgetary financing. but. Uh, I want to go back to a little bit of what you said earlier, Jamil, about uh, it's hard to come up with, you know, certain matrix, you know, to deal with equity. And as you know, uh, Isoji's been dealing with equity in Marin City for the last 23 years. And um, we look at it from a point of view as a systems approach. You know, how many systems are delivering services or or programs, you know, into a community, and, and who are the managers? And the managers should be very aware of all the equity building blocks within those particular systems. That's just one approach, you know, that we could use in doing that. Uh, uh, also, you know, we talked about the role of arts in mental health. You know, very, very, very important piece that we need to talk about. But I want to thank uh, her for inviting our group. We so she has a start of this process and getting feedback from the from the community. And we sat down, we hashed through information, but it was so much information we couldn't get to everything that we wanted to get through. So we're looking forward to the next one, and uh, and and this process that you mentioned. I think did you mention co-design? Yes, sir. That's us. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next, please. Good afternoon, board members. I am Bernadette Sullivan, representing the city of San Rafael and city manager Christina Lilovich. Uh, San Rafael fully supports the Race Equity Action Plan, or REAP, and um, we just want to stand alongside our county partners in their efforts to advance racial equity throughout Marin County. Thank you. It's always right at my eye. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can pull that down if you like. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. Thank you. Salama so Loss, community member, and I was on the housing um, group, and I just wanted to share that I did hear about uh, collaboration and continued work, and that was one of the things at our last meeting that we were happy that we had come to a certain point and had a product to present but we also felt some remorse in that we wouldn't be working with these people. And I wanted to say that I would like to continue working. Uh, I don't know in what capacity, I don't know how we will have, how it would be structured, but we definitely need to have community partners continuing with this process and, and giving feedback. So that's what I wanted to share. And I am happy with the outcome of our housing um, group, what we've had to present. And I said that the last time I was here about uh, the development of a county um, community land trust. That's it for me. I think that's that's the thing that's going to work if we do it equitably 
and always with the right thinking way of doing it. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to bring it back to staff to see if they had any responses that they wanted to make given public comment. You don't have to, but if there's something you heard you want to respond to. I just uh, would, would like to repeat um, that this will be so important for us to continue to work together. Um, and so I appreciate the feedback. We enter in this work with a spirit of humility and continuous learning. And so all of what has been shared by not only our colleagues in the room here today, but our folks on online, uh, we take to heart and we will be committed to embedding that feedback into our approach. Thank you so much. We're going to bring it back to the board for comments. Stephanie, would you like to start? Uh, Jamila and team and all the staff and all the team members, thank you so much. It is really a, a milestone to see all the work that you've done to make the initiative that we conceived of two or three years ago become real. And I wanted to just uh, acknowledge all the many meetings you've had and the conversations, the work you've done, putting a structured approach to this huge problem was is it's really astounding what you've been able to accomplish and I say this because we've done something similar on a smaller scale over at the housing authority with working with our uh, teams uh, for the empowerment fund and the, uh, the selection of the developer partner and that has been a large effort but I think this is even broader than that so I want to congratulate you all, including the team in the back of the room, and those who are listening. Uh, Salami, great you could be here, but all the team members. Uh, and just say that I, I am committed, I think my colleagues are, to seeing this through. It's a long-term, a long-term. We are going to be at this for a long time. But it's a, it's a really good start. So thank you. Um, I want to second Supervisor Moulton Peters I th and, and Supervisor Rice saying, like, putting meat on the bones of this work that, you know, when it was first talked about as $1.7 million, it's like, where do you even start and where do you go? And so I really appreciate very detailed who's going to do it, you know, still somewhat ballpark on things, but at least starting to put that um, into place so that we can have conversation and, um I, I think the reflection of who's here in the room and sort of the kudos really shows that there was deep community engagement, which is not something we've always done real well. Um, and so I just want to congratulate you all for the work you've put in and the time, and I'm sure tough conversations through all of that. So thank you for that. I just have a couple of quick notes. Um, when you talk about, you know, partners and in financial institutes, institutions, I would encourage you to also pull in either to part of those conversations, like our straight state treasurer, Fiona Ma, has said in conversation that there is money at the state level if people just figured out how to access it. So I want to take her up on that. Um, and I think our state senator has said the same, you know, same thing, and, and it may we may need to pick their brains first to figure out um, what to go for. Um, I, I will say that on the the topic regarding um, rent stabilization, 
Um, I just think we have to be clear if we're talking about rent control and we need to, you know, name and talk about that and talk about whether it's with all of the jurisdictions and what it looks like. Um, and I know I've talked to you about this a lot, Lucy, but it's, you know, it's, it, there's so many sides to that issue that I don't want it to be wrapped up into something that sounds simpler than it frankly is um, and recognize. I think, you know, if we don't have a whole bunch of legal aid, um, time and hours, a countywide approach to these efforts does make sense because it's very hard for even, frankly, a lawyer to figure out what laws apply and how old your rental property is and whether Costa Hawkins applies and so forth. It gets really complicated quickly. Um, but I just want to flag that um, if it is, if it's rent stabilization or rent subsidies, that we're just clear in how we talk about that. And then finally on the data piece, I mean, we are always thrown the race counts survey as how we're not doing well. And so I, I oftentimes think of like, do we start with, do we start there and the data they're collecting? And is that some, do we pick one or two things out of, you know, they talk about education, housing, economic vitality. Is that a place to start in the metrics piece? Or is there another sort of, conglomerate of, of data that's out there that we may just try to tackle and pick from as opposed to spend a, a lot of time just talking about data. Because <laughs> um, it's great, but it, but it also can be used in a lot of different ways. So just thank you for all your work and for bringing this forward. Appreciate it. Supervisor Rice, anything additional? No, just thank you. Really appreciate the work and look forward to the work ahead. Lucan. Uh, yeah, I, I was not here when this work began. Um, I want to thank my colleagues for getting to this point. I'm so excited to be here now and uh, to see it come to this point. And, but Jamila, as you mentioned, we're just getting started. Um, but this is a great starting point. Um, I, I appreciate all the work that went into it, uh, all of the collaboration. Um, I think uh, on the housing section, there's some things that are really timely, some more than others. Uh, the one in particular is this first right to purchase opportunity. Um, I see with how we've been investing as a county in our housing trust fund and also what could be happening with BAFA, um, the possibility of having you know, funds available, um, but then we need to be able to identify those properties. Um, and I think being able to get that um, maybe ahead of some of these other things on this list, uh, time really is of the essence on that, because we've all seen t so many times these larger multifamily um, properties turn over um, before maybe anybody even knew that they were listed. So I think this is, this is an opportunity. I also think it's something that there might be uh, much broader support for and, and an early win. Um, so I would just encourage you as, as you go through the prioritization, I know this, this is a lot, um, but I, I think there might be uh, that one I'd like to see is, you know, move up as, as much as we can. I know that's not 100% in your department. That's through CDA and a lot of others. Um, but I think there's a, a tremendous opportunity with that. So thank you so much and uh, looking forward to this work. Thank you. And I, too, want to thank the team here in the, in the chamber, but also the broader team, the working group that's out there to put countless hours into this. And we're really in, in a great place, and I feel really comfortable with your proposal and look forward to hearing more and more as we move forward. So thank you so much. We're ready for a motion to accept the report. I would make that motion. Second. It moved and second. We accept the report. All those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Abstain? Motion carries. Congratulations. Thank you.
And I'll just remind everyone we meet next Tuesday, January 30th for the MHA meeting at 1.30. The next board meeting is February 6th at 9 a.m. And we are adjourned. Thank you.